This episode is brought to you by Rick's Eyewear. Eyewear that inspires confidence. If you would like to buy some premium eyewear, sunglasses, blue light frames, prescription, head online now, rickseyewear.com.au and check it out. Caps has been Australia's home of headwear since 2012. From snapback to fitted, curved peak to flat peak, our hats will fit anyone and everyone. Since then, we've grown and evolved into the leaders of US sports apparel in Australia. Head online at caps.com.au and check it out. Righto, let's get into the show. Jamie McLaren, welcome to the Oz American Aces and Tommy Talks show, mate. It's uh, it's good to have you here. I, I'm going to give you a big pump up here. You know, like you go on Wikipedia and you just, I'm like, I'm just going to read out because it is good for everyone listening um, to know a little bit about you before we get right into it. This is what it says at Wikipedia at the top. I love reading these because you can edit them. Jamie McLaren, born at 29th of July, 1993, same age as us, so that's great, 93 born. A professional soccer player who's played as a striker for the uh, Melbourne City in the A-League. Previously played at, uh, I can't say that, that's a German um, Bundesliga. There you go. German. Perth Glory, Brisbane Raw, and the Hibs. Um, initially, you know, initially represented Scotland at youth level, um, but has since appeared for Australia. So we'll talk about that later on, both at youth and senior international level, which is just massive. And this is the one that I love the most. Fourth time you've won the golden boot winner in the A-League and you're the second highest scorer ever in the A-League's history, mate. They've changed that fourth time. It was only happened the other night. So. Oh, really? So now it's, so it's gone up. Now it's four. Yeah. Mate, welcome to the show. But that is, uh. You're the man. No, nah, look, I wouldn't say that. I think I've, uh, we'll talk about it in the podcast. Yeah. I've, I've worked for those, uh, those accolades and I've had some good people around me that uh, have helped along the journey. It is great. And um, mate, first of all, congratulations. Recently, recently married. Yes. Um, what, March was it? Uh, no, April, April, 1st of April, April Fools. We've, uh, we fucked up for the last two years. Obviously COVID has stuffed us around and, um, we thought, uh, what a fitting day to, to obviously get married on April Fools and obviously her family's from Perth. So it was really hard to, to plan stuff like that. So here we are married man and uh, happy as ever. Congratulations, Thanks. mate. Yeah. I feel for, for you and everyone else that's had to put all their weddings on hold. And, um, it's funny, my old man works down at uh, Lawson Lodge in Massad and his old man, his, his best mate runs that and they do a lot of weddings and he's had to deal with heaps. He obviously puts the glamping tents man. up and down and um, with the team down there and, and he's just said how many, you know, yeah. people had to reschedule the last couple of years. Just the businesses that that get affected, you know what I mean? Like it's, we were just two people, but you can imagine those mm. businesses have thousands of people, you know? So it's, it's been difficult. Obviously everyone's had their own issues with uh, with COVID. So, um, yeah, we're married now and uh, we can now obviously move on to bigger and better things with, you know, trying to start a young family and whatever and uh, have a honeymoon post-season. Yeah, it's awesome, mate. Now, congratulations. There was actually a little bit of um, speculation around the date, wasn't there? Mm-hmm. I remember you put yeah. his story up. I said to Jackie, what's going on here? Yeah. I think Archie Thompson, who I love because he's so funny, but yeah. a few people disagreed with the decision. Yeah. Family always comes first. Do you want to touch on the speculation and, and what, why? Guaranteed. I think, uh, look, I've said what I've needed to say and um, this date was chosen well over a year ago and, you know, didn't have any football in mind because... Family does come first and I chose a Friday, didn't think that it would affect any sort of games and if it did, you know, we could work around it and um, it just didn't didn't fall in, in line with, you know, with the second Socceroo game. I was there for the first one, um, played six minutes off the bench and I was a talking point, which was, uh, you know, pretty embarrassing from, from the pundit's point of view. So, um, yeah, it's all dealt with. Uh, we move on and uh, you just got to be the bigger person, get your head down and, and just worry about things and, and let them talk. 
that's it, mate. External noise, block it out. Family does come first, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's just the way it is. I know you can't control those kind of things, but uh, and also in recent news, premiers top of the table, Melbourne City secured back to back A League men's premierships on Monday night, and uh, a two one uh, you know tense encounter with mm. with Wellington. How was that? And how's the uh, feelings amongst the group? No, it was really good. Um, it was you going into the game where we we kind of choked a little bit in Perth last week. We forgot the three points. It was ours. Um, we, we kind of made it difficult for ourselves knowing that we had to win on Monday night. and um, But it also gave us that cup, fo- cup final feeling where, you know, three points is enough, but anything below that and you give the title to your, your rivals, Melbourne Victory. So um, who my sister works for, might I mention. And uh, yeah, we've got a bit of banter with that. So the last couple of years she's been working there. So yeah, we won. Uh, obviously a tense second half. The last 20 minutes they had us on uh, against the ropes big time and uh, we got the job done. Boys stuck it out and goalkeepers in the back four stood up really strong and uh, yeah, Premier's back to back. Congratulations, mate. Let's touch on your sister. That's awesome. There must yeah. be so much banter for both of you, especially her. She'd be walking yeah. around and if you kick a bag of sausages like you <laughs> normally would, she'd have to walk around and go, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> look, we, well, look, there was a period last year we weren't mates, um, obviously because victory, uh, we beat them in, in one of the games quite convincingly and um, that they had a tough period and we beat them 7-0 at Amy Park and Somehow I scored five. I think everything I touched just went in and, um, you know, me and Steph, are, we're very close, but obviously work for her is very serious and she does so well there and she's well respected in and around that sort of um, inner victory circle. So uh, that was tough and it's obviously good that now we're kind of neck and neck and, you know, first and second Melbourne Victory, Melbourne City and um, dinner tables are, are quite interesting now and um yeah, it's looking like a good final series too. So the family's uh, the family's pumped. That is epic. So what's her role exactly? Uh, she works with the sponsors. Uh, yeah. She helps with marketing. She's uh, she'd call herself a big dog at Victory. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I won't pump her up too much. But, yeah, we love this. You know, outside of the uh, the starting eleven and the players at Victory and, and Tony Popovich, she's probably. Uh, next in line to, to say that she makes that's that club awesome. tick, you know. That is awesome. Well, that's actually going to be, a, it's going to be a big next few months. So, um, yeah, may the best person, may the best McLaren win that. That's uh, that's epic, mate. And then let's talk about the golden boot. Uh, you know, like I just said, you've won it three years in a row. Yeah, three years And this years is your row. fourth time winning fourth it. Fourth time, yeah. So I won one at, um, at Brisbane uh, when I was, uh, I think I was 21 at the time. And um, that was obviously great because you win your first one and you kind of think, man, this is unreal. And then, now it's three in a row at Melbourne City, and um, you know people had question marks on me when I came back from from Europe back to Melbourne, and all I said in my interview, my first interview that I did was, you know, I'm going to come back here, I'm going to win things, and I'll, I'll prove to people that playing games, scoring goals, and um, keeping yourself in and around the national team um, is a big big thing of mine. So looking back now, I don't regret the decision, and I think the people that might have doubted me, um, whether or not they're eating their words, I don't know, but I think after the goals and and, and the golden boots. Um, I've shown that, you know, I can bring the quality to this league and, and I'm a local boy, you know, I'm not mm. a foreigner and um, I take pride in that and uh, a proud Melbourne boy as well. I love that. And I've always said, you know, not me, I was never never in the in media, but players that were, I used to love bringing, bringing up old articles, probably in our like, private chats yeah. and all that, but no one does that. There's no accountability, good or bad, you know, players probably are told not to put um, too much pressure on themselves, but you obviously have there and it's good because you, you become a bit accountable yeah. to that statement. So it's a bold statement to make. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's, I mean, there's games, you know, if I don't score chances, there's, I don't sleep at night and that's just the inner, the inner self of my, you know, believing that, you know, you should be scoring and you have high standards and, 
um, yeah, there's there's obviously articles and people that are always gonna. You can't please everyone, mate. You nah, know, nah, in, nah. in sport, you can't please anyone. It's you know, the Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo, they still have doubters. You know what I mean? So, and they're the best that has ever played this game. So, um, and I'm not even anywhere near their sort of stratosphere. So it's 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 you're always gonna get it, and it's about how you deal with it, and and some can handle it more than others. But uh, as the years have gone by, the skin's just getting thicker. Yeah, it is. That's what they say. Yeah, they say, if you want to be in business, you, you got to have thick skin. <laughs> so you want to be in a professional sport, it's probably the same. Um, but what's it, what's it actually like becoming the second highest you know, scorer in history? And you're only young. Mm. So, I mean, I don't know how many more goals you've got to kick to I get. I can tell you. Can you? Yeah. What, what, of course, mate. I mean, I always follow these things. And, you know, the guy that's ahead of me, um, we actually won the golden boot together, Bessart Brisha. Um, oh, yeah. He was at- strike. He was at Melbourne Victory. And he was at Brisbane as well, yeah, but Brisbane, um, he was a machine. machine. And for me to, you know, almost be anywhere near him, which I'm 23 goals behind him, um, is is huge. And, and I take, like I said, I take pride in that. I've always, it's not like I go out there trying to hunt him down, but, you know, at 28 years of age, I believe that there's time ahead of me. And, and I think that, you know, I, I can, can surpass him, but uh, it's down to the quality and I've got to do that. You know, it's no point talking about it. Actions speak, speak louder than words. And um, the boys in the club that I'm at at the moment, um, I believe they can get me there. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Obviously, the goals don't count in finals. No, they do. Oh, they do. Yeah, oh, the, gold, the golden boot doesn't because it's just it's only fair that you do the first twenty six rounds. And but final series, they're still it's still oh, an A league goal, you know. So that's brilliant. Yeah, yeah that's uh, mate. You're you're a, you're a huge. I mean, if there's a market out there, let, get me on that. That's uh, that's incredible. And and just on the age thing, what is the what is the normal age of um, a striker? Okay, mm-hmm. and in in, in A league, just yeah, I think it's. It comes down to a lot of factors, and I'm sure you know you got injuries, um, and you, your body might start to slow down a little bit. I, you know, pride myself on sort of that first five yard burst. So when my body starts telling me to slow down, I've got to start working on different areas, maybe coming a bit shorter, and, and just you know finding myself in different areas on the pitch. But um, you know, probably 34, 35. You know, there is players that play till 37, 38. You know, Alessandro Diamanti plays at at that age, and and he's still at the top of his game for Western United, and. Um, if I can get anywhere near that age, I don't think my wife would be too happy, but you know, and the body will be, uh, will be screaming, but yeah, you want to play as long as you can. You're a long time retired and, um, you know, as long as you can keep performing and playing for the fans and, 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 you know, um, at the same time, I want to be able to be the guy that can play in front of your kids and show them that, you know, dad was, was an okay player and wasn't just a shit kicker, you know? So, um, yeah, I've got time up my sleeve and, um, we'll just see, I've still got two years left on my Melbourne city deal and. Uh, at this point in time, don't have any intentions on, on going anywhere. I want to be successful with this club and, and really leave a leave a big legacy. And for the next number nine to to put on a city jersey, to know that um, he's got a, a fair bit of way to go to to catch me in goals. That's brilliant, mate. That's brilliant. Twenty eight, average thirty six, mate. You got. I want you to smash this record. I want to make it so far that no one gets it for fifty years. That's awesome. That's awesome, mate. And uh, and then the grand final campaign. So the next few months is yep. huge. We just spoke about Melbourne victory. They're ranked. Two. Yep. Um, how big would that be if the grand final was City v Victory? Massive. And you want that. As a player, you want that. You want to have – we've played them in, you know, many derbies this year and, and they've, they're a very good team. And for some reason, you know, in derbies, it get, just gets cagey. A um, few red cards. I'm not proud. I got red carded this year and against them and um, in the 91st minute. So it does get fiery. And But this is why you play the game, right? You play to play in big games, big crowds, um, a lot on the line and – um, the only way we're going to face victory in this final series is in a grand final. So we're both, we'll both be edging for that. And um, if it does happen, 
um, look out. So uh, I'll have yeah. to get you some tickets. Mate, I need some. I'll bring the boys. We're going to go back to go forward here in a minute, but we'll bring we'll bring all the boys that we grew up with, and that's something that um, that is quite uh, unique here mm. that we've only just met yeah. and we grew up around the corner from each other. Let's go back. Uh, I want to go, you know, right back. I want to go back to where you grew up. Sunbury boy. Strip it back. Yeah. Yeah, Strip it right boy. back. The Northwest, mate. I'll never forget 3429, mate. <laughs> <laughs> mate, how good. Like, what a place. I mean, you went to school at Sunbury Secondary. Mm-hmm. So next door to me and the yep. boys at Salesian College. All you pretty boys over yeah. there. Yeah. Under <laughs> well, the mate, bridge. I'm different. I've done hybrid. I'm a hybrid model. So I went to EKC, which is a public yeah, school. Okay. So I'm a bit of a hybrid. But yeah, no doubt. the uh, We're a bit scared to walk under the bridge, mate. <laughs> we, for anyone we're not as hard what, as we thought. Nah, yeah. yeah the boys from secondary were uh, quite intimidating how was that growing up let's go back a bit further primary school yeah um did you play like did you just play soccer growing up you played a bit of footy as well didn't um, you um so we, we went to kismet me donnie and, and my sister steph went to kismet park and um they had the oz kick and you know you could see my dad being the big scottish guy i think fucking put that egg ball egg ball away he used to call it egg ball <laughs> he said put that away and give us the round ball but you know for me as a young age me and donnie just loved soccer like it was in the blood right so for us it was a no-brainer. He didn't even have to introduce it to us. Um, our sister would would come down and sort of help us. She played a little bit of basketball here and there. She she was pretty bad at it, to be fair. But um, what team? I was a super. She was a. I think she was a Dodgers. Dodgers. If I'm Is that green. green and yellow? Yeah. yeah so, we used to hate the Dodgers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she was. She used to play, but she used to help us out massively down the back. So we lived on, in uh, Emmy Bottom. So we had two and a half acres and. Um, dad built this big football pitch sort of with goals and stuff. So we, we were spoiled, to be honest, football-wise. And um, we got the best of boots. We got everything. So um, as a young age, we we were just, it was just ingrained in us. And, you know, we'd rock up to school with soccer ball under our arms. And, you know, the Aussie kids would say, oh, look at these wogs. You know, I don't, I don't <laughs> know. You know, obviously half Maltese, you know. So mum was, uh, you know, grew up there and she, she came to Australia not knowing any English and stuff. So for me and Donnie to rock up to school and, and have guys saying like, oh, why you play that shit game? And um, it was good because we're, we're going against the grain and, and that's some, you know, probably built off my whole career was going against the grain. And, um, you know, we look back now and have a good laugh with some of the mates and, you know, guys like Paul Salberg who, you know, used to laugh at us with a, with a soccer ball now comes to every single game of mine and loves it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, good laughs as a kid. And so we went to Kismet and, and then moved on to, to Sunbury College. I wasn't there for long though, Sunbury College. I went there uh, year seven, eight, nine and, and shot off midway through nine. So um, in terms of uh, – School-wise, mate, I'm not too not too smart with the books. Oh, mate, don't worry, either am I. <laughs> I finished your top as well. <laughs> Paulie Salberg, great man. A uh, big shout out. He actually uh, reached out and did he? He is he was a superstar as a as a junior. I'm I'm sure he would have been handy yeah. with any you know he was handy with the football. I'm sure he was pretty yeah. good with the round ball as well. He was, and he was a good lefty, you know. And I think back at our school, uh, we had some older boys. Obviously, the Blitzars they were they were machines the year above. Um, Cam Guthrie as well. Actually, they, they were older than us. We didn't really hang out with them, but they was they were, you know, Solberg looked up to them. But they, I think they respected Solberg because he was so good at footy. Jason Williams, BJ Kilty. You know, mm. I could round off so many names of these boys that you know were were guns in my eyes because I looked and kicking a footy. I was like, yeah, yeah. These, these boys can play. Play with all of them, yeah. And then I, I'd go and play school footy, but then I'd go and kick five goals, and these boys would be saying, "Fuck, you're actually all right." Yeah, I'd mate. play forward pocket. I wouldn't go any further than that. But that's the thing. Um, anyone that can play soccer. Mm. 
they're so crafty around the yeah. goals. They don't really know anything, but when the ball's in their area, they yeah. know exactly where the sticks are. And everyone goes, how did, and yeah. you have an unorthodox way of getting it through, like <laughs> kicking around corners. I remember, I remember we, we had a school footy game and the ball, the footy ball was on the ground and I actually fucking socketed it. But BJ put his hand on the footy, but I, I booted his hand. We ended up having a go at each other, but I was like, man, I'll just boot it. I'll just kick it 50 meters. It doesn't matter. <laughs> off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. So it was good. It was a good laugh. And I think, you know, I, I kind of, I still love my footy. Don't get me wrong. I, I actually, you know, support the pies and still still watch the footy as much as I can. Mrs. doesn't like it. But um, you know, for me it's it's a respect level because when you when you, you see those boys, how much they are machines and physically just just beasts. And I, I saw Mark Blitzales as as a young kid could run till the cows come home. He's a machine. You know, machine. And you they, the commentators still talk about it, you know. So big respect for for the footy boys and um still keep in touch with them. Yeah, it's great. It's great. He is a machine. I've I've played on him. He's one of the most unique tall man in the game, mm. I reckon, with his with his endurance. Yeah, he's so quick. He's in the ruck as well. You he know, plays like, anywhere. Yeah. He'd be so important to a to a footy club. Um, yeah, going back to growing up. So you you're, you got a twin brother. I do. Yeah, Donnie. Yeah. So we uh, he's he's obviously older than me by like three minutes. So it's really nothing. He, he classes older, whatever. Um, but in terms of like how close we are, we're inseparable. You know, it's he was a top footballer as well, and he had he had his injuries and. Things didn't go his way in life and, and for football. And if I look back now, if I had someone like him next to me, mate, I, you'd be talking about probably breaking that record in the A-League right now, you know, and, and that's just how good he was. And, um, you know, my dad reminds me every now and then that, you know, you, you know your twin brother was better. And, I, and I'm, I fully agree, you know, because it was he was one of those players that, you know, when you just give him the ball, you're in awe because he's just, he he runs the game. You know, I, I make the runs and whatever. But when, when someone has the ball, they just slow things down. And, and that was Donnie. Um, you know, he, he's always a little humble kid who will never say how good he was, but people around him and people that probably knew nothing about the game were very impressed with, with what he was. And it's unfortunate how things panned out, but, um, I think he lives sort of my dream now and he's seen me play overseas and come to the world cup when I went there in Russia. And, um, I think he's, he's equally as proud to, to be, he's almost kicking the, kicking the ball with me on the pitch because he's, he's that close to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's um, it's incredible. I, I, I'm actually a twin as well, just on that. Yeah. So not many people know. So when I found that fact out, I said, oh, how cool is that? Um, twin sister though, so a bit uh, different. different. Um, I was going to go into the the, ne- the next part about growing up. In, so when you said you, you played with Paulie, Paulie has a little story for me. That he, he reckons- uh, I might need a drink of water just yeah, in case yeah, he's going to yeah. stitch me up. He's going to go back a bit further. <laughs> I might need I, to take the jacket off. Yeah. Sweat. <laughs> Ask him what his diet's like because it can't be as bad as the time we went to a massive game at the time. <laughs> and you said, geez, I'm a bit hungry. I'm just going to go get a quarter pound of meal. Quarter pound double of quarter, one, yeah. Free game. And they're going, this bloke's kidding himself. <laughs> and you've gone out and kicked a hat trick. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was, so we were, um, I said to Salve, we actually had a house party that night. So it was, um, I'm trying to remember the name. It might've been Jack Sheehan back in the day. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he had a house then in Gisborne or something. The massive one with yeah, the pool. So that was, yeah. So he had that. And then, um, so I said, Paul, come watch me play. And then we'll, we'll mum will drive us back and we'll go to the house party. Perfect time. And the game finishes by nine. We'll be there by 9.45. And then he's kind of saying, well, what are you going to eat for, for pre-match? I said, mate, just tell mum to drive into the Maccas on Bell Street and I'll, I'll grab something. And he was thinking, oh, you're probably just a salad or whatever. And I said, mum, get me a, a double quarter pounder, chips and, and yeah, throw in a Coke too, right? <laughs> I was 14. And uh, so I was like, you're not eating that. I said, I'm going to eat this and I'll probably fucking score a goal and I'll, I'll burn up and down because I was a right winger at the time. Yeah. For some reason, I was this size at 14. So I was bombing on and just 
uh, just a, a physical machine for some reason. I don't do that now. It's people are way past me that now. But um, so I had that, scored the hat trick, and Subic after the game was like, mate, what the fuck's this? Okay, how, how's your diet? I said, man, I didn't feel a thing. But if I did that now, you know what it's yeah, like, yeah, mate. Yeah. You, you'll be throwing up at halftime or or quarter time in footy. So, um, yeah, it's safe to say I haven't had a burger probably since that night because, <laughs> you know, you, you kind of get into the elite stages and guys are looking at you saying, mate, you know, you the older you get, you can't be doing that shit. No, no, it's, it, I loved it. Like when he, when he mentioned that, it's, it's classic though. Everyone does it. It's, I used to hear the old myths about boys go out of a six pack of beers, go out, kick 10. It's like, no chance could you do that <laughs> no, now? No way. But um, that's, a, that's funny. And because and Paulie, I mean, we're talking a lot about Paulie, be loving this, the, the great man. He's a very professional man. So he's yeah. a, obviously, he's got his own gym. Um, and uh, what's he doing now? He's got his own business. He's I'm trying oh, to get a plug right man, now. I'm, you haven't seen his statue in Sunbury, mate. He's, yeah. he's the king there. You, yeah. you, you walk down the street and everybody knows him and he knows of him. And look, he's he's built a very good portfolio for himself and doing really well with uh, with his personal training. And um, I told him one day, mate, we're going we're gonna to buy a gym and you're going to be the head trainer. We're going to be owners and um, with grand plans because he's, he's actually, for what he's built in Sunbury, um, well respected. I wouldn't be surprised if he's probably got the most clients in Sunbury. Just just the amount, but he works like a dog, right? So he look at he, the rig on it. You can just yeah, say, he's yeah. a machine, and he his weight fluctuates. He was in my bridal party for the wedding. I had to change suits like three times because he's going shredding and he's getting bigger. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah. you know, he's one of those boys, and he's 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 had a tough time with footy because he got injured, and um, but now he's uh, now he's fully focused on on getting recovered. And um, but in terms of his work, man, he works like he's up. At, text me at like four a.m. in the morning. Goes to bed at like nine thirty at night. Like. When you work that many, that many hours, you just, you just hope he doesn't burn out, man. Mate, anyone with PT businesses yeah. and anyone that is a PT or in the fitness industry, like mad respect. Yeah. I've got a few friends in the industry and you're right. They've got to be there. You know, the classes start at 5 a.m., right? Mate. And I'm thinking, how do people make the class? Let alone these guys are up at 3.30, a.m. just setting up. Yeah. And then they obviously last got to have the enthusiasm too, right? Like energy. To, 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 to get people pumped up, motivate them. It's incredible, and it's all it's for possible. the benefit of someone's, you know, mental health nah. and their physical yeah. well-being. It's it's awesome. So huge shout out to to anyone out there that's um that is in that space. Right. Oh, so we've gone through growing up, Sunbury. It's um you know as a Riddles Creek boy, I just love that. I love it. I've, I'm trying to search for me fucking notes here, mate. I'm surprised we didn't punch on in like house parties and stuff because there oh. was the there was the Sunbury College and there was the Salesian and the boys would come together mm. and touching you know i'm trying yeah, to think where I, i'm just surprised i've never really met we, you i know everyone around you that i mean i'm trying to, i don't think of yeah as we i probably said. we you know what we looking back it's been that long ago and for me last time i was in summary college it was like 14 so we probably crossed paths before that you know but it's uh you have that sort of aura as those big jock footy boys that uh come yeah. from salesian yeah. you, know, you just want to you just want to get to them you know what i mean yeah i know, I know. the old footy boys it's, it's, it's something we used to get called all the time at school um just back to growing up there's there's a famous story about your backyard yeah um i want to know a little bit more about it because yeah. apparently that's the reason why you're so good in front of the, the goals yeah i think we've i've touched on it uh here before and um so one day dad just said boys come down uh, come down the back and we were thinking, okay, what's he done here? And so we obviously went down there and there it is. It's just like Premier League goal with the big post at the back, nets, box net, you know, grass is cut. Premium. We're thinking, fucking hell, this is our backyard. Like this is better than where we're playing at Green Gully. You know what I mean? And this is in our, we can come down here whenever we want. Dad had a bag of balls and he said, boys, I'll, I'll, I'll try and say, you know, my mum wasn't too happy, but at the time he said, boys, fuck homework threw the bag of balls on the ground and said, that's your homework, right? <laughs> he says, your mum can say whatever she wants, but I want you up here at 6.30 for dinner and daylight savings, use it down there until about 9.30, you come back, right? So 
me and, me and my brother were like, fuck, this is awesome. This is unreal. And, you know, because Donnie had the quality, he could actually ping balls to me and I could take a touch and shoot and I could do the same vice versa. Donnie wasn't really a goal scorer, but Donnie just had this ability to use both feet and just do things with the ball that only I could dream of, right? So um, he's a – for what my dad's done for me, I don't think in any way time or money I can ever repay him for my parents, not not just my dad, but the time that, that my mum spent driving and um, – you get emotional because you kind of think the time that they spend, I don't think I, I, I physically can't because I've got my own life now. I've, I've working hard training. How do you, and they probably never expect, nah. you know what I mean? So um, for me, it's so grateful for what they've done. And, and Donnie is too, because he knows that whatever that the time that they've put in, has actually transpired into to how this career's panned out. But Donnie knows that their right intentions was for him as well. And in, in life, in sport, injuries happen and, um, but he was definitely on the right path as well. And dad wanted the best for both of us. What injury happened to Donnie? Just he just had a stress uh, sort of on his back. And when you start to get older, growing pains mm. um, turns into a stress fracture. And, you know, if you start to mess with your back, you, you're going to start to have spinal issues. And, you know, when you're 15, 16 years of age, you don't want to really have to worry about your back when you've got, you know, 70 years ahead of you. So he kind of just pulled the trigger and said, I'm going to focus more on more on trade life. And um, he's a fantastic, he works at Chevello. Um, shout out to them because they've, they've looked after him and he's uh, apprentice of the year a few times. So he's, he's a gun at what he does and whatever he puts his hands on, he's, uh, he's a magician. So love my brother. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. So he sounds like he was the assist king and then you were the, you were the finisher. Spot on, mate. He was the, uh, you could say he was the Kevin De Bruyne of- uh, yeah of Green Gully at the time. I love that. And just on your old man, there's a, I, I want to learn a little bit about your old yeah. man. It's obviously soccer in the blood. Can we just touch on the old boy? Yeah. So he was a ex NSL player. Um, the, the McLaren surname has got a quite a bit of respect before I even t- kicked the ball professionally, be- just purely because of him. Um, he played in the NSL, you know, played over 250 games in, in this competition here, played in Scotland for Heart to Midlothian, which is uh, the rival of Hib- Hibs um, that I played for. So we'll touch on that a bit later. But um, so dad had a very good career, played in America for a bit. And uh, when he came to Australia, played in Canberra and, and Sunshine George Cross, which is a good Maltese club, which, uh, um, you know, mum's pretty happy with that, that he played for a Maltese club. So <laughs> yeah, he's well respected and well known. And um, it's great to see all the, all the A-League coaches now. Um, growing up would have played against that or, or watched him play. So it's nice to to sort of carry the baton. And, um, you know, he, he was a better player than me, but I'm a better goal scorer. Yeah, yeah that's great. So the old boy's Scottish and mum's yeah. Maltese. Correct. That's that's brilliant. That's the uh, that's the key to success for a, a magical <laughs> striker. Um, mate, now I really want to dive into, like, if I was a kid growing yeah. up in Sunbury, right, mm. how do you – you spoke about how good you were in the backyard and and I can imagine school would have been tough, not only because you wanted to play at the highest league, yeah. but let's go through it. So junior footy, like yeah. junior soccer, you're really young. Where were you playing? Yeah, so we started, so it was hard as parents because dad didn't really want to coach us at a really young age. He would just do intimate stuff at home. But so from about four till, for me, it was about nine or 10 and we were at Sunbury United, just learning the basics and, and, you know, when it's at that age, it's not really so competitive, but they got a point where, you know, we'd, Sunbury United, we'd go to Gisborne and play Gisborne and me and Donnie would score five each. And, it's, and my dad's like, mate, you're taking the piss. Like, well, I need to move you. And then, so dad moved me first and put me at Green Gully, but I played above my age and mate, I wouldn't score. Well, I'd, I'd go three games without a goal and I'd get battered by kids and, you know, elbowed and just get destroyed. And I'd say to my, I'd drive home with my dad saying, mate, I fucking, what am I doing? Get me back to Sunbury. Like I love scoring goals. And he said, trust me for the, for the greater good, 
just be patient because the more you play with bigger kids, you start to use your body more. You you'll get better. You won't see it now, but in long term, you'll see it better. And it was it was fucking spot on because if I'd have gone back to Sunbury, I would have gone back into my comfort zone and then thinking, oh, I'm I'm the big dog in Sunbury or I'm the big dog in sort of that region. But when I came to Green Gully and Essendon areas and you start playing in these West West teams, Sunshine. Some big boys, mate, I would have thought. I was, I was a nobody. I was like, they were thinking, who's this fucking – because at the time, Sunbury was country, yeah? So yeah. country was – people were like, who's this country boy? And you had to earn their respect. And it's true because – and then we then Donnie joined us at Sunbury and then Dad became our coach at under-13s. And then we just literally took the piss for three years in terms of Super League. We had the best team. We had boys from Vic Country, Vic Metro, all wanted to join just to play under my dad. So we had this sort of dream team and, you know, I, I was the right wing right wing back or right winger, so to speak, and um, just started scoring more goals and wanted to move up front. But we had a good striker in Evan Batsis who actually owns a, a, a restaurant down the road called Anchor. So he's, um, yeah, all that, all, the, all the guys we play with now I still keep in touch with and um, such a good team. And, and like I said, your mate Jakey, well, my mate Jakey too, but he had a little stint with us as well and we won a few trophies. I was going to go into Jakey. Let's just go straight into it now because I, I need to ask. I'm going to go back to a sec. So obviously we just found out what your old man made you do, which is fantastic. Let's go to Jake. Everyone here at the Aces platform, we love Jakey. And uh, no one really knows. I should do a podcast with yeah. Jake. No one really knows how good he really was at soccer. Now, can you just give me a bit of context to yeah. Jake? What was he like as a player growing up? Because I know his career ended with injury, unfortunately. Yeah. But what was he actually like? Uh, to put it shortly, he was the man. Like he was our age, but for some reason, you just when you when he walked in the dressing room or you know you just saw him on the pitch, he just oozed elegance, and you kind of think, man, this guy's so good. Like you want to get to that level, but actually, we probably were on his level, but because he just stood out on the pitch, and you know, with his dreadlocks, or he had like the afro, and he just really stood out. His his parents made sure he always had the best Adidas Predators, and <laughs> he was a show pony, right? So, for, I'll give him that, but he backed it up. Oh man, did he back it up? He was a top captain, you know. So I was the captain of Green Gully, and he was the captain of of his team in the southeast. But when we came together and played for Victoria, I was like, mate, the armband's yours. You're you're the fucking you're the man. So that was Jake to a T as, as a young kid. And as we got older, I went overseas, and, and Jakey started to get his debut at, at Gold Coast and start to really forge a career playing against men. And and if if he hadn't have had these injuries, mate, he'd, he'd probably be the Socceroos captain, or he'd be there playing for the Socceroos without a doubt because he had that ability that not many Australian players have, have had in the past and in, in my age group anyway. So um, great man and, and a great person with a great family, but um, a really, really top player who probably deserved more out of his career than what he actually was given back. Yeah, it's man, I'm so flat. He's naughty. He's such a good person is yeah. the way I would put it down. I've, I've loved enjoying uh, our friendship so far. And I don't know a lot about Jake's footy career. Obviously, it ended with injury. Um, now, he hasn't given me any context to this. <laughs> Do I need another water bottle? <laughs> yeah, I think no, this is more about Jake, so this will be fine. But, man, he just said uh, it's pretty funny because I can guess that there's something really good that's happened here on behalf of Jake. He goes, ask ask the great man about the famous Manchester United Cup final game and just see what he says. Oh, uh, to be honest, it still the, the crossbar is probably still shattering. Um, <laughs> we played them in, in this cup and back then, Jake was, he was a bit of a, when he got a bit older, he was a bit of a nomad. So he would, he would almost get poached by these clubs and we, we did it too. So we were probably, but he went to Altona Magic and they were one of our rivals in the West, but we were like, fuck, what's this guy from the Southeast coming over to the West to try and, to try and fuck us. Yeah. So he ended up playing for them. And, um, so this Man United Cup was, if you, if you win that, then you play the best teams in Australia and you go actually to, I think it was to Manchester and play against 
you know, Liverpool's, Man United's, the, the academies cool. at that age. So we thought, like, gully, we were untouchable. Like no one could get near us. But for some reason that night, um, it was Darabin Sports and he tore us to shreds. And, you know, part of me as a young kid got a bit bitter with him, but it was, it was because we were both winners and I could see the way that, um, you know, he really wanted to go to, and he was a big Man United fan as well. As well, So um, it meant a lot probably more to him than me. And um, yeah, probably one of those memories that really sticks out at Green Gully. And uh, yeah, he kind of, he's the sort of guy you want on your team, not against you. Yeah, spot on. So what, they won and then yeah, went over and they, played Man United. I don't think they, they didn't get past, uh, I think, Marconi Stallions, which is in Sydney. So I don't think they got past them, but they still had the opportunity because I think that on a one-off game, Altona beat us, but... If it had been over a consistent amount of period, we would have gone to Marconi and probably beat Marconi and gone because That's our team was our team was really good. Like it, and it wasn't even just because of myself. It was we, the guys we had around us. We had our whole back four was was played for Victoria. Then we had Vic Country in midfield, and you know our left wing back played for it was a captain of Vic Country striker. You know for Victoria, so we had a lot of good players all around the pitch, and Altona only had Jake and a few other boys who were, who were good players. But in terms of our squad, we, we were much better and. Um, yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Jake. Because that, that's, that's <laughs> I haven't talked about that for a long time. There it is. <laughs> I knew there was something on there. I want to know a little bit more about Jake before I ask you a few more questions about your juniors. But what, what kind of like position did he play? And you know, describe his skills. He was a centre mid. Centre mid, um, right? But he, he he had the passing range of of a quarterback. So he would, but he would be so elegant. So a bit, bit similar to my brother, where when they have the ball, they almost have five seconds more than everybody else. It's either because they've got the respect of the kids to say, well, well I don't want to touch him. Scotty Penelope, I don't want to touch him. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to touch him. Or they just somehow just find space and it looks like it's, looks like they're taking the piss. Looks like it looks like they're easy. Mm. Looks like it, the, what they're going through is not even a, not even a breeze. And that was the sort of player that he was. And you'd give him a free kick on the edge of the box. We, we had a few arguments here and there because I believed I could take him, but I'm no good outside the box. So <laughs> he, he used to have to take the corners and he, just his technique. His technique was, Second to none in, in terms of our age group and probably guys above us, you know, would respect him in, in that in that era as well. It's funny you just said that. So I don't know how this would work. In a game, free kick, penalty, right? So yeah. obviously you've already got a decision made from the head coach pre-game. You'll take these or is it yeah, out in the pitch? I think the, nowadays, well, I'm not sure what it's like, but especially at our club or clubs I've been a part of, and it's more the player who's the most confident. So for myself at Melbourne City, I take the penalties because no one would, would say there's anyone more confident in front of goal from 12 yards than me. But outside the box, it's it's a tough it's a tough thing to do. Get it around a wall, get it over a wall, past a goalkeeper. So it's about the player who believes they can do it. And to take corners, like you need to have great technique. Not every player can just step up and take a corner, bend it in and get someone on the head, how I scored the other night. So um, it's about having those people that, that believe in themselves. But penalties are probably all about clutch players who – are willing to be the hero, but at the same time willing to be the villain just in case you miss. And I've missed, uh, I've missed my fair share. You are clutch, and that's something that he said. Stir him up about this. He's famously known for not <laughs> touching the ball all game, but he always scores the winners and gets the headlines. Is that true? Oh, I've got the, I've got the, um, the title of probably fox in the box, or fucking, <laughs> you know, you hear the commentator, and there's probably a commentator's curse. Some commentators will say. Fucking hell, is Jamie McLaren playing? And then bang, before he says it, 30 seconds later, I'll get a tap in. And I'll say, I've always got to be, I've got to stay in the game. I'm alert. I make sure I feed off mistakes. Um, and that's kind of, so every player is different. Everyone brings their own their own sort of armory to, to games and ammunition. And and that's one of the things I take off. I, I believe that, you know, the other night, for example, I said to Andy Naboo, um, mate, you go to the front post, I'll go to the back post. And I normally go to the front, but I just some somehow something told me inside my body just go to the back and tell Andy to go to the front. He went to the front, he flicked it on, and I got a tap in from two yards. So yeah. it, it, for me, it's I can't train that. I, I think I've just had that ingrained in me, and 
over the time, and Dad's built the quality into me, and he must have saw something that uh, that other people have seen. And um, you know, goals are goals are speaking for themselves. Yeah, it's it's instincts. It's funny you say my old man used to say the same thing in footy. He goes, yeah. "Go to the because everyone just stands." And this is for any junior footballer out there. This is a good tip. They always stand in the goal square, right? Yeah. Like, and this is an AFL. But they always stand in the goal square. Everyone thinks, oh, it's going to fall short. It never falls short. Yeah. It goes through the sticks or it goes long to the front. And, and your footy ball can bounce either way, right? Yeah. So you, you've almost got to be, you've almost got to take a gamble. So I you almost, do. you take a gamble. And if you, if it pays off, happy days. But if it doesn't, it never does anyway. Say, you know so, I mean? it's rather, so it pays off or it's just going to go through the sticks. But in footy, like I used to always say, you go stand on that back point post. Yeah. Because if they shank it, no one's standing there and you get a good run and jump. And it was actually a really good tip. And it's funny that you said that the, um, the other night that you went back post because yeah. rarely would they miss, you know, short. You, just ta- you have to take risks in this game. And I think that's uh, the minute I the minute I felt it because the, the referee gave a corner and I said, look, you've only got 10 seconds to make a decision. What do you want to do? So I said, mate, you go to the front, I'll go to the back. And um, that's something that's just ingrained. It's just, it's that instinct feeling. I Maybe maybe it's half of belief too, right? So I just probably thought, you know, well, I'm going to score today. You know, so that, that's... Probably majority of my goals are just built off instinct and, and it's experience. Yeah, you could say that. And I'm almost, almost um, as you get older, you kind of realize that these things do happen. They, they happen for a reason because you work hard. Mm. So majority of my game is built on working hard and you get rewarded. 100%. So. 100%. That's awesome. Um, nah, it's great. And, and just back onto the, the penalties. You said you're the most confident. There's a reason why you're confident. We talk about action built confidence. You've done it for a long time. Do you practice your penalties flat out at training? Give me a little skills that you would do after training. So we all have the team training and all that kind of stuff. What are you doing individually? Penalties are probably all about, in my instance anyway, it's all about breathing. So I just, before you take it, you breathe for five seconds, you breathe out and you just say, listen, now, now, you're, now you're like calm. You can't hear anything. I've, I mean, I've scored a penalty in front of 50,000, but I couldn't hear a thing. So I'm just like, I'm just so in zoned. And the day before the game, I always take a few penalties in the in the direction where I'm going to go. So that's my little secret. So it's probably not a secret now, but the day before I always take a penalty where I'm going to go. So my teammates probably know where I'm going to go, but it's, if I hit it correctly and the keeper saves it, mate, I hold my hand up and say, fuck, what a save. You clap and you say, what a save. But if it goes in, I've trained my mind to know that, you know what, you did it yesterday. Don't worry. Just put your head down, foot through the ball, composure, and put it in. So for me, the, the best penalty I could say, like I said, I've scored in front of um, 50,000 at Ibrox, which- I've seen the we video. I watched about. it last night. Let's talk about that. So, well, I just joined that club on loan from Germany. So I was really a nobody to, to that squad, and I kind of, the penalty was awarded. And I said to John McGinn, my good mate, who now plays at Aston Villa and played in the Premier League, he's a fantastic player, and- um, he had the ball under his arm and I said, John, like, I've only known you a week. Just give me the ball. I, for some reason, I just feel this is going in. And he was like, mate, fucking ball's yours. Because at the time, it was one all. <laughs> and the crowd, it's their home game. Their home yeah. game. So you've got 50,000 against you, throwing shit at you. Not spitting at you, but like throwing beers at you. And coins and everything. Coins, you lot. It's, it's, it's the most hostile place I've ever been to, but it's at the same time the most play. I love it. You know, yeah. I couldn't imagine what it's like playing for them, let alone playing against them. So... I literally just put the ball down and said, you know what, just put your foot through it. If he saves it, you'll be the villain. But if you do score, you've got a thousand Hibs fans over there who will love you till you won't, have, you won't pay for another beer in Edinburgh ever again. So laces through it, keeper got a little nick to it, roof of the net, bang, celebrate, knee slide. And probably, the, the not, not, I wouldn't say luckiest goal, but probably the best feeling I've ever had when I've scored a goal purely just because I knew the risks, but I didn't give a fuck. I said, you know what? I, I, the the reward outweighs what's going to happen if I do miss, and 
it did. I, you know, I haven't probably, if I go to, if I go back to Edinburgh now, I probably still won't pay for a drink. That's how good it was. There was a few people that messaged and said, <laughs> oh, yeah. tell them to come back to the hips. <laughs> I'll be honest. So, mate, it's incredible. And I love that you took the chance. And it's funny that he goes, yeah, you can have it. Cause yeah. he's probably going, I don't want it. He, he didn't want it, but you look at him now and he's probably one of Scotland's best, best players. And, you know, he's, I'm a big Villa fan. He plays for Aston Villa and he's probably their best player at, the, at this point in time. So to see where he's kicked on and, and done his career and, um, you know, it's a pleasure to see. And, and yeah, I'd only known him like a week. And That's he was incredible. like, this Aussie cunt wants to take a fucking penalty. <laughs> does he even know what, he's, does he know what he's signing up for? Yeah. And I said, mate, just bring it on. I'm ready. So that was because uh, I had a shit period in Germany where I was played as, deployed as a midfielder and didn't really get to get a chance to play in front of goal and try and score goals. So at that point, I was like, fuck, mate, I'm at rock bottom. You're like, craving a goal. Mate, I'm at rock bottom right now. I literally, fuck, I'm, I'll buy a goal. It doesn't matter how much it's going to cost. I'll, find a, <laughs> I'll buy a goal. So I literally thought, you know what? I can't lose in this position. So head down, roof the net. Thanks for coming. And he, and he nearly saved it, he? Didn't did, he did, yeah. So it's, it, did you make the decision, I'm going straight down the middle? Straight middle. Yeah, yep. straight down the middle. Because I think nine times out of 10, keepers, if they stand up and it goes to the side, they look like idiots. But that's just a keeper's mentality because they think, you know, you have to dive. It's out of respect for your teammates. You've got to try and, try and save a ball. So I knew he was going to dive either way. So I just said, if I can just lift a little bit because their feet, they stay, their feet's really low. So. If it does snick him, it, it'll still go into the goal. So that's that's all I was thinking. I was like, you know what? Just lift the ball a little bit. Even if it's one or two yards, it's a goal. That's brilliant. Yeah. It, so. it, and for anyone watching, listening, go on YouTube and type that in. Um, it's the atmosphere when you kicked oh. it. It was a it oh. was crazy. Obviously, they were filthy. They were going wild. You guys are all celebrating. And and majority of people probably won't know, but you know, Catholic and Protestant and, and stuff in Scotland. You got Celtic Rangers and you got Hibs and Hearts, and they're. The green, green and white is the Catholic and the Protestants are Rangers and, and, and Hearts. So they immediately, before you even kick a ball, you fu- they, for some reason they hate you. It doesn't matter. They, they just hate you. So they don't have to justify it. They just fucking hate you. You know, I, I was saying to a couple of, couple of people and, you know, it's probably well documented that I went to a bar in Edinburgh with my wife and went to order a beer and the guy said, mate, go fuck yourself. He was a bartender. He worked there. I said, all right. So he, my wife, she wasn't happy. She was like, nah, fuck off it. You got a service. And he said, mate, go fuck yourself. I'm not serving you. So then another guy came around and said, sorry, guys, he's a big Hearts fan. Don't, well, they're that passionate. Know, they are. And you know what? I, she she probably got a bit offended by it, but I was like, you know what? I, I like that. That's took me back, took me, surprised me because I'm come from the A-League or Germany and stuff like that. But um, my dad warned me. He said, mate, just know, know what you're signing up for. Over there, it's bigger than football. That's unbelievable. What yeah. about the other way when you go to a bar or a restaurant, they just get it right around <laughs> mate, you. You you go to the you go to pay and there's the bar got, the, the waitress says, Oh no, that guy over there in the in the black hoodie he's paid for you. That's incredible. And you're like, Thanks, mate. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like oh, that guy over there, he's paid for you. And you know, this guy wants to shout you this and they want to buy you that. And um love the hips fans. If anyone if all the hips fans are listening, I obviously really great time I spent there and we, we bought a house in Edinburgh, so we'll obviously um at some point try and go back and uh, my dad's from there, so it's, I'm always going to be close to home. And my dog Simba, that's that was his first home. We we bought him over in the UK, and um, we've always got uh, great ties to Edinburgh. And um, I'll be a, a hippie for life. Yeah, it's brilliant, man. They, they'd love that, and they'll be listening, um, no doubt. Now I've got a couple of questions about the junior um, pathway. Uh, I found out that you know you made Vic squads, mm-hmm. but you also were cut from Vic squads. Is that yeah. correct? It is. Yeah, I was twelve. And like I said, I came from Sunbury thinking I was, you know, probably better than what I was. Bit of reality check, came to Green Gully, mate, you, you know, we're near it. And then you get trial for Vic and then you kind of make the stages because it's all about opinions. So I, I was always the sort of guy that 
if one co- one opinion doesn't uh, one coach doesn't like me, fuck okay, it's just your opinion, mate. Whatever. But some people would take oh, one opinion as oh my god, the world's going to end, and I always have that opinion. If you don't rate me, fuck yeah, like, I'll I'll impress the next guy. Or yeah. my I always felt like my work rate would would get me by, and the, when I got cut, even my dad was surprised. But he said, mate, use it as fire. Use it next year when you go back. Look the guy in the eye, the fucking coach, and say, mate, I'll prove you wrong now. And after that, that's probably the best thing that probably ever happened to me was actually getting told, mate, sorry, mate, you're not good enough. Yeah. And and then I kind of thought, so I go to Green Gully. I'm fucking nowhere near it there. I'm playing against older boys. At that, I was in a dark place in terms of like as a young kid, I didn't enjoy football because I was like, I'm not a star. But as I started to get older, I was like, you know what? That, that was done for a reason. And everyone's got their journey, but this probably set me up for knowing that failures are going to come. It's about how you how you adapt and how you move on. And how yeah, and how you face that adversity. Yeah, 100%. And, and getting it that young would have been such a good stress test, wouldn't it? Oh, I think it was. And, and really, you know, trying to remember his name. I think his name was Harry, was the coach, and um, probably got to give him a little thank you because, one, I've proved him wrong. But yeah. two, he, 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 you know, gave me that inner fire in the belly to actually go, you know what, I'm not good enough and now it's time for me to work. And, and at that time, I had the backyard and – um, I had all the tools, right? So my dad, yeah, he yeah. gave me everything. He had dad said, mate, fuck, what else do you want? <laughs> you know, so I, I just had to, yeah, just ride with it and um, go back to Green Gully and, and show them that, um, you know, I'm worthy of a spot at Green Gully, let alone playing for your state. And then you, um, and then another f- important, you know, even in en- all junior sport is mm. AIS and mm. you missed out there as well. Yeah. Um, what was that like and how old were you there? For some reason, I just, I took it personally. I, just, I don't know. I, I, so we, we were... Um, 13 going on to 14 and we they've just been taken over the FFA by these Dutch coaches that have come over and implemented a new system and 433 and looked over the AIS and Joey's and stuff like that and you always kind of think okay AIS is that's the next step you leave home at, at such a young age and I'd told people grand plans when I was at Sunbury College like yeah man I'm not, not going to be here next year boys I'm going, <laughs> I'm going AIS I don't know where you're going but <laughs> so I, I built myself up thinking yeah, I'm, I've got these things in in line. And so I went there and scored four goals in five games, got injured, had like a bursa behind my knee. So I was on crutch, couldn't walk. And I remember coming off the pitch and I could see the Dutch coaches up there. And I mean, Dutchies don't look impressed when you, when, they probably thought, oh, these Aussies play, Aussie players are shit compared to the Dutch players. But I could just sense something that they weren't probably looking at me for some reason, or they didn't even try and speak to me and say like, oh, you know, how's your injury? You know, we, we, we obviously come to scout here and, then I got a phone call when they said, uh, AIS aren't selecting you. And I was like, surely not. Like it's, what else can I do? Four goals in five games. I was playing out wide as for a, for a winger. That's a good return. Mm. Um, I felt like I had pretty, a pretty good tournament. And then no, they said, no, you, you're not, you're not being selected. So I took it, it was like, fucking hell, man. Like it, I felt like the world was against me. First, the Vic squads, then it was Green Gully, you know, playing above my age. And then it was this, and I had a lot of, People saying no, 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 and I was like, but I'm, but I'm working hard. Where's my reward? And didn't happen. And Jakey, Jakey, obviously went. He deserved it, full, full well. And um, you know, it just showed that AIS wasn't everything because no. I then ended up having an opportunity to head to England. And if I had gone to the AIS, mate, I probably wouldn't be sitting here. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the brutal truth. Is the way the AIS was say 20 years ago was different to how it was run maybe 10 years ago. So the amount of players that they produced throughout the years, the golden generation of good so- socceroos and even they did produce good players at AIS, but sometimes it's a blessing in disguise that I didn't get picked because again, it probably drove me, but it led me to 
overseas. So if someone said to me, Jamie, in five years' time, when I was when I was 10, five years' time, you're going to be at a Premier League club, academy, or you're going to be at the AIS, what do you want to do? Mate, I would have fucking said, oh, take me to the Premier League club without a doubt. And that's what ended up happening. So yeah. I, when I started getting on that plane to go on trial to, to Blackburn, that's when I knew, you know what? I'm not fucking this up. Like it's, they might not rate me in Australia or fucking the Dutchies, but I'm going to go there and book a one-way ticket because I ain't coming back. It's incredible. And this is this is a um, question from a mate, Park. Do you know do you know Brennan Parkinson from Sunbury? Who the name? Yeah, yeah, he's a Sunbury boy. He's a good fella. I think he's a big shout out for the question, mate. He, he loves Sunbury and he knows your journey. He wants to know, and I want to yeah. know as well. I want to understand um, how a young player from Sunbury can be recruited by Blackburn Rovers. We just touched on all the yeah. rejection and the no, no, no. Yeah, you just said you you know you booked a one way ticket. What, how does that happen? Like, did they scout you? Yeah. So we had we had a tournament in France. Um, and Paul Pogba was playing for France and yeah. guys like that. Yeah. So we were, so Paul, we were all like, we were 15. And so we scored, we played against France, Mali and Germany. And I had quite a, quite good games. I scored against Mali, chipped the goalkeeper. And my dad came over and um, then we had a, a guy who had good links to Celtic and Blackburn. And my dad's brother, who at the time had very good links with Aston Villa. So I had trials lined up and, my dad's kind of held them off because he said, Jamie, I don't think he's ready yet. But when he saw me score against these nations, he said, you know what? He's ready. So send him over. And so I had Celtic, Blackburn, Aston Villa and Derby County lined up, but Blackburn was first. So flew over to Blackburn, had some trial games, had two games, one game against Derby, scored two, then played against Man United under 15, scored a hat-trick. So I was a trialist. So I was playing against boys who were probably contracted. Well, they were contracted. Yeah. Um, scored a hat-trick and these were like league games, Saturday morning, fucking 7am, like, cause you're a young kid, you, you want to aspire to play for the academy and, and whatever. So then I got pulled into the office by Phil Cannon, who was the director at Blackburn. And he said, I know, you, I know your uncle well, Ross McLaren, but he's told me that you've got trials at Celtic and Aston Villa next week. We want to let you know now that there's, there's an offer on the table for us to stay for three years. And we want you to do your apprenticeship here and, and learn what it takes to be a professional footballer and give you the environment, we'll put you up in a house or do you want to go to take the risk and go to Aston? Cause if you go to Aston Villa and Celtic, the offer's off the table. Right. So it's, it was kind of like, man, there's something on the, there's something in concrete. So I, I said, look, can I just have, my dad was back, my dad was back here in, in, in Sunbury and I said, let me just call my dad. Cause he was, he was Messiah to me. Like he, everything he said was fuck. If he said that was black, it was black. Like it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. everything he said, I just had to believe. So, Called him up and I said, "Mate, black men have offered me a deal. Like I'm, I'm, I'm staying here. What, what should I do? Should I go to Villa? And I'm a big Villa fan. Like that was hard for me. Like, yeah, I could imagine to be able to wear the claret and blue and be a Villa fan, see the boy like Ashley Young, John Carew. Like those guys were idols. Just to see them in the flesh, I would only be 15, but you still see them around the building. Um, and Blackburn at the time was sitting sixth in the Premier League, big club, big big club at the time. They've won, they've won the Premier League um, back in 95, 96. And um, he said, "Mate, you'd be silly." To, to knock this back right now but it's your career mate and you're old enough now of my hands are clean it's up to you and uh yeah my mum and, and brother and, and Steph they uh they flew back to Australia without me yeah that's it's as a- simple as that literally as simple as that I had one suitcase and I didn't see them from August till I landed in um at Christmas Eve wow so back bang. to Australia sign the deal sign the deal at 15 and 
didn't even say goodbye to my schoolmates. And I probably stitched up probably one of the girls who was, I was taking a prom or the dev, whatever you <laughs> the call deb, it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think it might've been Julia. Um, so I, I just, I'd left, I had to leave. Like I wasn't coming back. So the school was calling my dad saying, where's Jamie? Like he's fucking, hasn't, he's missed his history class. <laughs> <That's> like, <laughs> Mate, he's not coming back. He's, he's doing his he's, grandma. <laughs> he's got his British passport. He's living in the UK now. Like we had to, I think we had to go through, my parents would have had to go through quite a bit of um, issues to get, work and, you know, to get me out of, I don't know whether it was government or what, just to get me out of school at such a young age. But yeah. my dad was saying, like he said, that's your fucking homework. So he was, he fully believed and he knew that the path that I was on, that you don't pass up an opportunity like this. No. You don't. It's in, it's in, for an Aussie kid. And we had our hurdles because FFA at the time, and it's got nothing to do with FFA right now, but they, in a way, didn't want Aussie players to leave Australia. So they tried to, in a way, fuck me because and try and stop me from playing because they didn't want you to go. If you were under 18 and you tried to go overseas- you couldn't play. Did they disagree with the whole education comes for like they not, not 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 education? They just said, "Well, why would we let an Aussie go to Australia?" Uh, go, oh, they wanted go, to stay in there. They league. wanted me to stay in Australia. But I was like, "Where am I going to stay at, at Melbourne Victory Youth?" Yeah. Would you rather? Is it, am I going to learn more at Melbourne Victory Youth, or is he going to learn more seeing what it's like to be at the highest level possible? He might not might not make it there, but at least he can see it week on week. He watches Premier League games on the Saturday morning. I was ball boy at Blackburn, so you you learn things. So I was like, mate. And the FFA, we ended up coming to an agreement and dad, look, I don't have to go into it because it'll probably get us in some trouble, but dad had to go into some, some really deep stuff to, to get me, uh, to get me out and get me approved. And, um, it happened and yeah, I was, uh, I was playing for, for Blackburn within probably a month. There you go. That's how you do it. That, that, man, that, that's just incredible. So we're now we're 15 years old. You're at Blackburn. You're, um, you know, you're in their little junior program. What do you call it again? The, um, academy. Yeah. The academy players, are you doing everything that the senior players are doing? How's it work? You are, so you're full, training full time. So you, so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you'd have school. So like you'd go to a college um, just down the road and you'd do like, you'd, you'd take the piss. Cause yeah. you know, what are you going to learn? You're soccer players. Yeah, you tick the box. Yeah, you probably draw on the paper or whatever. <laughs> draw dicks on the paper. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. but then you got, then you got um, Thursday, Friday, you'd train and then they would love gym. So it's back then, like I, I'm telling you now, like I was- probably 77 kilos. I'm 72 now, but mate, I was, I could bench 110 without really? doubt. But yeah. they just turned me into an, like a, but I couldn't run. So I was kind of losing that pace that I had at Green Gully and Victorian Institute of Sport. I lost that pace, that short, that, that yard, because they just wanted to, to build me up to, to handle. Because some of the guys I was coming up against, like Phil Jones plays at Man United now. He was in the academy at the 18. So when I would sometimes train from the 16s to the 18s, Man, he would flick me like I would fall over, like because they're just such. So I had to improve physically. Um, but yeah, for, for me it was it was full time training Saturday morning. Whether you're playing Liverpool at home, you play Liverpool away, you get on the team bus, you have your little Jaffa cakes, and <laughs> it, you felt like you honestly felt like ugh, I used to suck because you you only Skype back then. So I used to Skype my family on the Sunday morning and said, "Fuck, I just played Liverpool." Like Raheem Sterling was playing, like all these boys were playing. Brad Smith, who's my mate now, he's played with Socceroos, but it's. You know, these guys that have gone and kicked on in the Premier League, but it's like when you're 16, 17, that's that, you're, you're their age group. So you're playing against them on fresh cut grass, beautiful like training grounds. Like for me, I just, I, I can't explain it enough that that turned me into almost the inner beast, but what it takes to be a professional. Because I was 16, but nowhere near the first team, but I felt like I was looked after so well compared to what happens in Australia. Man, it sounds, I love the way you're telling these stories. I'm visualizing it all and, yeah. you know, being a part of the, you know, being a part of the club and around, around all these people and jacking up straight yeah. on the program at yeah. 16 years old. Like we, yeah. 
you know, I'll convert it back to AFL. These academy players, they're probably 17, maybe 18, like they're 16 and 15. You're so young. So young, mate. Like I, I look back now and I, I look, obviously you've got some academy players at Melbourne City that are 16 and I'm like, man, I was your age when I left. And you kind of think back and you kind of give yourself a little bit of a pat on the back. You're thinking, fuck, you did all right there, mate. Like you yeah. kind of, there was times, look, mate, it's like anything. There was times where I'd sit with a room, four walls, parents are asleep, time difference, and you'd cry because you'd be like, fuck, what am I doing, man? Like, what am I doing here? Mm. Like, I miss, I'm, what am I, like, I'm missing everything. I can't even go out because the, you know, the, my, my academy boys who are a bit older, they're going out because they're 18. <laughs> I'm like, what am I having my Lucas 8 on a Saturday night? <laughs> you know? So I'm like, so me and a couple of the foreign boys would just sit and have like, you know, watch Match of the Day and, and stuff like that, order pizzas and just kind of, you know, miss our families and talk about our experiences. But there was probably a good amount of time where it was really dark. But not that I would ever admit it to my mom and stuff like that. But there, but there was there was times where I was like, looking online, Skyscanner, like, mate, I'll be on the next flight home. But yeah. I'm so glad that I just stuck at it because the next morning I'd rock up to training because we lived on the training sort of complex. It was an unbelievable house. So they put you up in a house? Yeah, so they had all the foreign boys. So we had Irish lads, Swedish guys, an Austrian lad. Um, so we all, we all got along. We still keep in touch now. It's, it's actually really cool. And you're, on a, you're all in one house? So the complex is like, trying to, trying to imagine the complex. So if you've been down to Casey Fields, for example, like there's – so many footy fields, but like just imagine there's 13 soccer pitches and the big building where they've got indoor pitch, they've got the restaurant, they've got that's where all the first team boys go. And the academy lads can only pop in when the first team aren't around. And you gotta you gotta respect them because they're they're yeah. the ones that are keeping the club alive. So um the the house was on 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 site, so we had a bit of security and whatever. And um, but like I said, when I had dark nights, when I would wake up, I would go to the pitch and I would just be like, Fuck, this is a dream, man. Yeah. Like, I got friends who are going, even my brother, my, my brother and stuff, my sister, they, they're going to school at 9 a.m., but I'm smelling fresh cut grass in the UK, got my gloves on, thinking I'm the man. You <laughs> yeah. know, like, I'm actually like, this is, this is pretty good. But when, it, when winter came around and it gets dark at 4 p.m., you, that's when you start to like think, fuck, look, I do miss my family. And, um, but like I said, it makes your, thin, you know, your skin get a lot thicker. And um, over the years, it turned me from a boy to a man. Yeah, you'd learn quickly. Oh, yeah, you do. You would have learned how just to little things like open bank accounts and and you know having to like know what your BSB number is and just shit like that. Like, I wouldn't have a clue. Like I taxes. Fuck, I didn't know what taxes were. I was learning fucking. I was failing maths at Sunbury College to learn uh, algebra and all this sort of X Y Z. C. Yeah, I yeah, didn't yeah. know all that. But then I come to six months later, I'm getting paid into an English bank account of you paying tax. Where's that money going? Or you got you got your pension and I'm like fucking hell why don't I learn about all this Who's, did you have a manager at the time I did but when you're when you're sort of a minor I kind of still lent on my dad a bit yeah. he, he'd obviously lived in the UK for, a, for quite a bit and he grew up there so he he did help me quite a bit and you do have a lot of support at those clubs like they're well funded clubs that make sure that the kids are looked after and, and everything you want everything you need whether it's boots beanies like jackets like you you, you got looked after so in terms of that, I was I was fine and I had good people around me that that made me obviously want to stay for the four years that I ended up staying. Yeah, it's um mate, I'm just visualizing it all. It's it's so cool. And the boys that you you live with, mm. you obviously had great relationships yeah. now with them. Are they all going on and kicked on or what are they all doing? Still do. Grant Hanley, who's now the Norwich captain, plays in the Premier League week in, week out, and uh, and Phil Jones was he was a local lad, so Phil stayed at home with his family, but he was he was a player that played for Blackburn's Academy, got seen. 
played against Trogba the one the weekend, and Man United signed him. So his his rise was unbelievable, but it was great to see like in the flesh. Yeah, because you play with him one one week in the, in the reserves, and then the next week he's marking Didier Drogba, bullying him. Because Jones kidding? is a big boy. Yeah. And then the next week, everyone's talking about, oh, Man United might buy him for like 18 million or something. And he got bought. So, so mate, yeah. that's crazy. It's mental. And, and you can see, not just, I wouldn't say luck, but how timing can just happen. Like within the space of a month, he went from an academy player to basically nearly England international with Man United because they signed him in on a pre-contract and Blackburn had agreed the fee because he was a machine and he earned it. He earned that move. Like he, when he played for Blackburn, he was an animal. Like for some reason he was just fullback. Was he? He was a centre back. Centre back. Like big six foot four unit. Threw himself at everything. Like challenged. Would wouldn't care if he broke his nose in a challenge or threw himself at the ball. Like he was just a a physical beast. Whether it was the 18s or playing against men. And you're marking the best striker in the world, and you literally got him in your back pocket. Yeah. And that was for me. I was a ball boy that day, and I was like, fuck, man, he's actually like taking the piss out of Drogba. And Drogba was. At the peak of his powers, Drogba at that time. is well. Uh, growing up, as I said to you, yeah. we were talking about FIFA before how they yeah, have just parted <laughs> ways. I was a big FIFA player. Did he? Drogba yeah. is as big as the name as I know. Yeah, oh, huge, and, and that's a credit to him. And he's he's gone on to Man United, and Man United fans will say, "Oh, Jones, he's not kicked on as much as they probably thought." But having actually seen him in the flesh at such a young age was. How many times do you get to sign for Man United? Like it's, oh, man. it's 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 a credit to him, and he's he's uh he's had a fantastic career. Tell me about the ball boy thing. This is cool. Yeah. I didn't know this. So what, they make you guys do the yeah you become so ball boys. Basically, like when you're under 18s, if you don't have a game sort of until the following day or whatever or, or that that morning. So we'd play on Saturday at 9 a.m. The first team play at 3 p.m. So you play the game. You're a bit buzzing if you win the game or whatever, and you can get back in time. Because if you play Liverpool or Man United, by the time you get back, it's too hard to get to the game. But every home game that we played for the academy, they would make sure that we were the ball boys. So we'd rock up in a in a team bus, almost thinking yeah. they were big dogs to the stadium, <laughs> yeah. and we're the ones that have to sit around <laughs> on these little stools around the pitch. And you know, you just see the fans. You hear Best the fans. Seats in the house. Best seats in the house. Like I remember. So after after the game, so Blackburn played Aston Villa, and I somehow. Through, through some family connections, I spoke to Ashley Young by text. So we, we text each other and I said, listen, like, I'm a massive Villa fan. I love you to death. You obviously know my cousin, Liam. Um, do you mind if you, I have your jersey after the game? So full-time went. And, and I literally, I, I remember it like it was yesterday. So the, the whistle went for full-time and I'm thinking, oh, he's probably forgotten. Fuck, like I'm not going to get the jersey. He's taking his jerseys off and he's looking around the pitch. This is Ashley Young, England international, looking around the pitch, looking for me. And I ran on the pitch. I said, fuck this. I'm going because he's looking for me. Ran on the pitch. He gave me a handshake, gave me the jersey and said, mate, look after yourself. And and that for me, like all the boys, Man. I walked back off and all the lads around me like, how do you know Ashley Young? <laughs> I was like, boys, I don't. But he's uh, he's a good family friend and of, of one of the, one of my cousins. And um, we we managed to tee it up. So that was that was big for me to, to actually have that moment. And um, what a player because he, he was one of my probably idols at that time. I was going to ask you that later, who's someone you looked up to? It was he one of the guys that you looked up he to? Was, was he? But he was, but he was like a winger. But as I got to Blackburn, Blackburn saw me as a number nine. So I think Blackburn were the ones that actually converted me to a striker because I'd go to England and I, when I say I couldn't dribble, I couldn't dribble like some of these lads overseas. And these boys would take the piss. Like when I say dribble, like Raheem Sterling dribble, like would go past players with ease and I'd look at them like, man, I can't do that. I, I don't think I'm going to play in this team because I can't do that. So they kind of, and they saw my goal scoring ability and shooting drills and they thought, mate, you can score goals. We'll put you up there. So, and I was still quite, I was quite big. So I could be a bit of a, bit of a presence up there. And I made runs in behind once I started to shred that sort of fucking 110 bench press weight that they wanted to get me on. Yeah. But um, yeah, so they put me up front and um, yeah, I just, 
scored goals for for the academy, won the golden boot a few years in, in the the Blackburns Academy. And I just always wanted to to become a player that would get rewarded for your hard work because I wasn't the most talented. I, I saw that with my own brother. I saw it for I didn't need anyone to tell me. I just saw it firsthand that what I can do with the ball compared to what my brother can do with the same blood, but it's chalk and cheese. You're talking about fucking red wine and white wine and two different things. Yeah. It's, it's uh it was a credit to, to obviously him he worked on it. But I was uh, I was in awe of some of these players and they Blackburn just said, mate, you're a striker. We're we're not gonna even bother about putting you on the wing. It's funny, so like your size compared to a Didier Drogba, you know, like yeah. he, he's a striker as well. Yeah, so you, you get different, yeah. you get small forwards and footy, you get big forwards mm-hmm. or whatever, but Drogba was probably the mid-range. He was probably like six foot two maybe and, you know, maybe like 85, 90 kilos and just proper solid. But um, I'm more of a small forward like Michael Owen or maybe Aguero. To, Aguero's got big legs, so he was more powerful. But I'd say probably my body shape would re- – Michael Owen was a player I looked up to as a young kid, you know, when he was at Real Madrid, Newcastle, Liverpool, like just a small forward that would be a pest, make runs in behind, sniff a goal, um, and you work with what you got. Like You're not going to grow any bigger. You're not going to get any taller. You can get a little bit bigger, but you work with what you got, and uh, and they're your strengths, and and I kind of modeled my game off of Michael Owen. That's so cool, man. So like when you were there the whole time, um, you were there for four years? Yeah. And so that means you would have been 15 to 19? Correct. What was it like when you started turning eighteen? Did you start to go like did you did you go out and you know have a drink? But did you was it what was the lifestyle yeah. like? I think we we probably because when when you start to get a bit older at eighteen and I kind of I was eighteen but I was outgrowing the academy just maybe because of quality or whatever and they, I started training with the first team a lot more and um, they had this this thing where it's a development squad so from eighteen to twenty three you've got maybe twelve professionals that are there or thereabouts and if the first team needs you on a training session they'll use you and and all that. So um, I was kind of, I fell into that category at 18 and yeah, you'd go out, but I mean, the first team would play on a Saturday night and then the reserves wouldn't play till Tuesday night. So you actually can afford yourself to go out on the Saturday night. Not that we did it a lot, but when you did, you kind of, you either went out and you, you'd say to the younger lads, listen, mate, you can't come because you're, you know, you're still got the academy games tomorrow or Sunday mornings. And, you know, you kind of do what the older boys did to me at that time and say, mate, just stay, be patient. You'll get your time. Um, I wouldn't say I was a loose cannon or, nah, or anything nah, like that. Able. I just enjoyed it and um, saw the experiences that uh, that England had. And, um, you know, when my granddad could come watch games, he would come watch and um, that was always good. Yeah, it's – it's uh, and what was it like compared to Australia, the culture, what, you know, describe it for me. For me, in the UK and, you know, Germany, for, for example, because I live there, but they just live, breathe football like – you, you you open the Herald Sun today and fucking hell, we'll find a trophy, but you wouldn't even know. But yeah, I know. Over there, you, you would have the whole paper, front page, back page, middle, fold outs, posters of just full soccer. Like there's actually like full football papers for themselves, the, you know, the Daily, Daily Mail and stuff like that. They just, they love it. And that's something that, you know, I know the media is only a small part, portion of the game, but it's huge where the fans live from Monday to Friday. They, they fucking, they hate work. But the minute it hits Friday night, they're like, you know what? Fucking game day's tomorrow. And they get pumped. They get pumped for 3 p.m. And that's something that when I saw that, I was like, man, these guys live for Saturday afternoons. And that's kind of you, – you want the game to get to like that in Australia. And I think I think AFL has that right now. They've got that culture of generational fans and passing on the league, like, you know, the scarfs. And, you know, this dad supports this team, so the son supports it. And it just keeps going on generational. But Australia don't have that at, the, at this point in time because the NSL died – then the A-League came in, so there's all these different teams. Like my dad's team that he played for in the NSL, they're no longer a club professionally. They are a, a semi, semi-pro. semi 
but um, they're not professionals. So you kind of, you, you realize that they're just so passionate and whether that's Scotland, England, Germany, they're all the same. They love the game. And now I can fully understand and appreciate that that's why it's called the world game. Because no matter where you go, they play it. I was just recently in Thailand, mate. Oh, they, they, they're kicking bare feet with, with, a, with a ball. They're kicking a melon. <laughs> like, like it's just, it just shows you that they just doesn't matter where you are. This game is played all around the world. And to know that I'm probably one of the few that have had that lucky chance to make a forger career out of this game, you always have to, you have to pinch yourself because you're, you're always that close away from not making it. And I, I remember specific moments in my career where that was a turning point. And then you go a couple of years, that was a turning point. If it hadn't gone that way, fuck, I would have been back there. I would have been a semi-pro player and milestones along the way. What was the biggest turning point? Uh, so I was at Perth. Um, and so I signed a three-year three year contract at Perth and really thought that I, I was really going to kick on as a, as a kid because I hadn't played against men fully. So I came back to the A-League, still still away from family because family's in Melbourne. So I thought, you know what, Perth Glory is the perfect opportunity to still be away, but to, to ply my trade. And I'm a young boy, first couple of games, got, got muscled around by these bigger lads. And I'm thinking, fuck, man, I'm even, I'm even failing here, you know, like it's... And then it got to a point where I scored my first goal and I'm like, okay, calm down a bit. You know, you're going to, your more chances will come. And then our coach had, had moved on, Alistair Edwards, who was a great coach for me. He's the one that signed me. Um, then a new coach came in and from day one, I knew I was, I was not in his plans. And you understand that you're not going to be in some coaches' plans. Some coaches rate you, some don't, some have it personally, some, some just don't. But I wasn't a fan of this. Uh, he wasn't a fan, you know, he just didn't rate me for, for whatever reason, uh, you know, he might have his own reasons. He might say how he feels, but um, I knew I was never going to play. So I was literally, there was a period where if I hadn't have probably kept my professionalism, I would have fallen into a big hole and that big hole would have led to semi-pro, amateur, maybe given up, all, all sorts. Like things that are going through my head right now, I'm thinking I literally could have been a tradie by 22. Easily. Wow. Easily. But at 22, I'd won a golden boot in the A-League. So I'm thinking that's how fine lines fine lines are. But at that time, I had to prove him wrong. Like he would only give me five, 10 minutes at a time. I'd come on score. Next week, be on the bench again. And we'd have open, honest conversations. I'd say, mate, what, like, what the fuck do I got to do? Like I've come on last week and I've scored two. We won 2-1. <laughs> we, we were losing when you brought me on, by the way. And like, what do you want me to do? Like I'm working hard in training. I'm doing extras. He's like, yeah, you, your chance will come, your chance will come. But it never, it never really came. And then when it got too far gone, we had a few injuries with our squad. So I actually had to start games. And when I started games, I scored a hash against my, my mob now, Melbourne City. And then Perth tried to turn around and say, no, nah, we want to keep you now. So I was kind of <clears> – <throat> I was over the hill at that time. So yeah, I was yeah, like – They lost you. They'd lost you. They'd lost me mentally. So I was like, once you do that, you kind of go back. But then I moved, obviously moved on to Brisbane and Brisbane looked after me. John Aloisi was great for me and I played games, but – that period at Perth, if I had sacked it off, you wouldn't even know my name. Yeah. That's, that's how that's how easily I can put it. Like that's how probably bluntly and simply it is. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. I can't work that out. I, I mean, we've all yeah. had coaches that just don't give you the run. And um, But that conversation you've had, you've yeah. come on, you've kicked two, <laughs> your time will come, son. Like, it, yeah, it, it, it's bizarre. And it's good. It's good that, again, you get to, not that you stick it up and for that reason, yeah. but it is good to go back and say, hey, look, I'm... Well, that's the thing, you wrong. don't want to be that sort of, <clears throat> I'm not saying it's immature, but you don't want to be that person that's always like, oh, fuck you and whatever. But it was kind of like internally like, fuck, you know what? I'm actually going to just show them what, what they could have had. 100%. If I got looked after, they, they actually probably could have, 
you know, think you know, I met my wife there in Perth. I love I loved Perth, but didn't work out. And and you know what? Nothing in this game is going to be. You know, if there's ever a thing I can tell young kids now is it's not going to be smooth sailing. Like just no, you're going to get fucking hurdles and mountains. And I'm not talking about little 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 hurdles. I'm talking about big ones. And it's about how you deal with them and how you approach it. How your positive positivity comes out of it. Your belief, um, confidence. It's 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 a range of things. Just on that, because there's a lot of kids that would be listening to this and a lot of people that um, aspire to be like you growing yeah. up. When you do get all this disappointment, you're away from home, what exactly, what actions are you actually taking? You know, there's probably psychologists on site. Sometimes you go, nah, you've got your family. But when, it, when you're yeah. in such a dark place and you've been knocked back so many times and you start to question your own ability, what is it that you brought yourself back to? Probably just, just myself. Like I'd, I, I just built it off. You've, you've come too far. You've worked too hard. Those four years you did away from your family, why did you do them? Like what? What's your why? Like, it, why? Why did you spend so so long away from them? Because we're well, going to throw it away now. I kept telling myself that you're going to throw it away now. And I remember, for example, completely off topic with football, but my sister got married. Uh, I think close to fucking nine, ten years ago, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, it would be. So would been, yeah, 2012 or something. So, yeah. So she got married, and I remember just being on the the sort of dance floor, and I just like grabbed her and started fucking crying. And then she was like, what are you crying for? She wasn't even crying. It's her wedding. <laughs> and I said, uh, oh, fucking, I've just missed you all. Like, I literally, this is, I haven't seen you guys properly in four years. Now I'm at Perth. I've just, six years, I've missed you all. You know, and you kind of realize that family is everything. And if you can kind of find that balance, that family are always going to be the ones going to be there. But as long as they support you, then you can always fall back and realize that, okay, family's there, but you've also got to chase, chase your dream and just realize that, setbacks are going to come if you know failures going to, no's are going to come you're not good enough are going to come like you're going to get these things if you're going to, if you're going to accept that early on mate you you'll you'll be you'll be okay but yeah. if you if you take the first no as oh my god everything's going to go wrong and then you start doubting yourself and you start not believing in your ability then you can kiss a goodbye you might as well just hang your boots up at, at 16 you're spot on and it's the it's the character that shines no matter if it's, even if it, if it didn't work out professionally but later in life yeah. i play with a lot of guys a lot of guys that got told they're not good enough or yep. they, they didn't get selected, but internally people valued them and yep. respected them. And, and you see them now and they're all yep. running their own businesses and they look yep. back on their career and they're probably still filthy the way it went, yeah. but there, there's a reason why they're succeeding. You know, they've had to knock all that back. I love how you said it's about your why. Um, but it's, it's funny because like someone says to you, what's your best, your best attribute in football? I wouldn't, even, I probably wouldn't even say it's got anything to do with my ability. Do you know what I mean? It's my my way that I can deal with certain situations where I can just say, all right, fuck, he doesn't like me. No worries. It's, it's having that bounce back ability to be able to say, okay, no problem. I accept that. Now, now I'll prove you wrong. Yeah. So you don't like it? Okay, no worries. That so determination. It's, kind of, it's that determination, motivation, that inner, inner fucking beast inside you to say, no, nah, I, I don't accept that. So that's probably my best attribute. And then, okay, the, the cherry picking goals are, will fall in, <laughs> fall in line. But that's what gets me in those, those positions. Yeah, no, it's well said, mate. It's well said. Um, I, I don't want to skip over the, the the living over there. It's it's crazy, man. Like I don't know a lot of people that have played um, over there. Mm. So I mean, I'm sure a lot of people. What what other things that happened over there that were quite cool, like outside of? I mean, if as a young kid, or I mean, in Germany, okay, I had to learn the language, and that was tough. You know, I remember you know a few training drills where he would speak in German, but I wouldn't understand and. We had a team talk one time and 
all I could remember him saying was Ferrari and fucking <laughs> and, and house. And I was thinking, so to the boys, did he just say, I don't care if we lose tomorrow, I'm going back to my Ferrari in my house? Because our coach was a big dog in, in Germany. And the boys were like, yeah, he just said, if we lose tomorrow, he might get sacked, but he doesn't give a fuck because he's going back to his Ferrari in his house. <laughs> but he said, but you boys, you boys, are gonna, you might you might get relegated from, from the second Bundesliga. So it's kind of like, fuck, he's really like, put it on the boys. Yeah. Big time. So I was like, when you learn the language, you start to learn more. You kind of realize that. Um, I mean, that was a great that was, that was a great period in my life, Germany, because that also taught me things that about me to to have that bounce back ability. Because it, it didn't work out, right? So yeah. I was like, "Fuck, okay, doesn't work out. No worries. I'll take I'll take a hit financially, and I'll go to a place where I probably will be loved, and and that's where that's where it eventually happened. So let's just go back to go quickly back there. So Perth Glory, you were there for what I know is was it two years? Yeah, two. Seasons. Then you went to Brisbane Raw for two. Two, yeah. And then that's when you went to Germany. Correct. Yeah. So how does that happen from Brisbane to Germany? They, so I was coming off contract and as a free agent, um, you know, clubs will because I was twenty two, just fresh off a golden boot. So clubs would have paid for me, but I was a free agent. So we, how the how you say as a free agent, the player probably gets more money, right? So I was kind of thinking, okay, so. I'll go to Germany. Um, this club was was coming down from the Bundesliga, and I th- and I thought, you know, it's a good step for me. Um, if I'm played in the right position, and if they give me the opportunity to play, I think I can do well. But from day one, I just knew that I was going to be played in a different position, and that was that was really tough in a foreign place. Going home to my wife, saying training's hard because I'm like, you're almost getting found out because you're playing in this midfield position where I'm like, everyone in Australian football knows you take me out of the box then you lose 95% of Jamie McLaren. And that's that's where I've built my whole career is inside that box and knowing where to go, timings, instinct. And then you take me out of that, it's fucking game over. Why do they do that? Why do they take you out I of I think that they position? just they just thought, you know what, we actually, because of my work rate, they probably thought, you know what, he's a runner, he's fit, he's never he never really gets injured. So we can actually play him in midfield and he can be sort of our guy that if we need a goal, he's he might be there or thereabouts close to the goal. But when you're playing in leagues like that, Man, you you you're playing against top my 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 number six. So so for example, I was playing like a number eight or number ten. My number six played 20, 23, 30 times for Real Madrid. Hamid Altintop, probably the best player ability wise I've ever played for, played with. He played for Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. Now he used to get the ball and look up and play it to me, and I'd give it back to him because I don't want to fucking turn because I can't turn. <laughs> yeah. I'm no good. Yeah. I said, mate. He goes, fucking turn. I said, mate. Hamid, you know I'm not a I'm not a fucking midfielder. He says, I know, but like I'm giving you the ball just back yourself and he was really good we went through a few dinners sometimes and he was just saying mate like i'm sorry how things are working but you just need to try and i've been through periods like this but i never had the ability that hammett had so he, it was probably easy for him to say that but i just said i'm finding it difficult and he just said you know come come january just try and get a move then and um you know he's retired now he was he was probably 34 at the time but the the knowledge and and the advice and experience he gave me Brilliant. you don't get much better than real madrid you don't no no, so, no, no, no. that's uh, that's awesome and then that's when you go to to Scotland. Yeah. And that's where you really enjoyed your time there, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, loved it. Oh. So you got, they took you on a loan? Yeah, loan deal. I find this, I find yeah. the loans, just in general, it's pretty cool. Yeah, so Hibs tried to, tried to get me before Germany, but financially just didn't add up and didn't work. And then so January came around and I kind of put the feelers out. Well, they actually came first and said, look, would Jamie be interested in coming to Hibs on loan now? Because obviously they've seen he's gone to Germany and he hasn't played up front. Would he, we want to play him as number nine. Neil Lennon really likes him. Um, and I was like, yeah, okay. And then I called my granddad and I said, granddad, fucking Hibs are, Hibs are interested. He fucking hang, he hung up on me. 
Because he's a Mad Hearts fan. Yeah, so over like, there, it's like, man. hates him. And then I called him back. I said, Grandad, I'm not taking the piss. Like, Hearts. <laughs> like, uh, Hibs, uh, Hibs want to sign me. Like, uh, And he, at that time, Hearts were interested as well. Does so, he live over there? No, nah, he's passed away now. Oh, but he's, here, yeah. Yeah. So he's, um, but he was a mad, mad jambo. So he's, um, he kind of thought, you know, come to Hearts. But it, he actually said Hibs are playing better football. So I kind of thought, okay, for him to say that, it's a big thing. So signed for Hibs and went on the preseason, sort of mid-preseason tour in um, in Portugal. Met up with the boys, met up with Neil Lennon, signed the contract and yeah, played 15 games that season in the Premier League for for Scottish Prem and um, scored eight goals in, in 15 games, I think it was, and scored a hatch against Rangers, got a penalty at Ibrox and a winner against Celtic. Like that, for me, in, in Scottish football, you don't get bigger than that. And that was, that was, that filled my belly. Like I was like, yeah. fuck, Scottish football, tick, you know? So really, really happy with how that, that stint went. That's awesome, man. That's all. Awesome. What's it like? Because I've been, a, I've only been, uh, been in two clubs. It's daunting going to a new club. Yeah. I'm quite social, so I love people. So it's not that daunting for me. But yeah. these loans and all these different clubs you're going into, and a loan's different because you kind of know how long you're going to be there for. Yeah, I assume. Yeah. So you're six months. You're, you're expected to perform. You're, you're coming in as the main man up front, and you're coming from Germany, and and they were like, mate, this boy better produce. Yeah. So like what's the, it like? The fans straight away were like, fucking hell, like. Who have we signed? And all my dad's mates, because all my dad's mates in Scotland are messaging saying, fucking hell, is this your boy? And dad's like, yeah, that's my boy. He signed on loan. And because the media is quite big there too. So um, I really had a, a quite a bit of pressure. And that's why I kind of, when it came, my second game was was Rangers. That's why I kind of thought, you know what? It's worth it's worth being a hero yeah. rather than just take, being the villain. Because penalties penalties are easily missed. But when they go in and in, in the, the feeling that it was, um, one all, you know, 75th minute or so and, um, yeah, just great feeling. Yeah, just for me, it was it was just. Let's, we're let's gonna, Braden. We're gonna clip that up. You know, I talked to you the other day about one clip a week. We're, we're gonna clip this up. We'll get the. We'll get everyone literally. Everyone. I've probably got. I've probably got footage of like fans that send it to me from where they were sitting. Oh, too, get so. it in, and we'll clip I'm this like, right up because I've watched it and it's it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy and the atmosphere. So, uh, and then yeah, so you had six months there, and yeah. I mean, when your time's up there, is it quite sad? It was, and that was a period where I was trying to get into a World Cup squad, and I got cut, and then they brought me back in. Then I was on holiday, and they kind of said, "Oh, just hold off, stay on holiday." And I was kind of just getting yo-yoed for the Socceroos, and I was like, "Fuck, I'm, I just want to switch off." Like I've had a, a good year, but a, a good six months, but a shit full year because Germany didn't quite work out, and just wanted to go on holiday with with Eva and um, go to Dubai and, and stuff like that. And yeah, it, like I said, nothing smooth sailing. So I kind of ended up getting picked back in the World Cup squad, and. Um, it was a surprise to me because I'd come in off, you know, drinking wine for the last week, going into a soccer camp where boys are tip top, ready to go to a World Cup. And I'm going in there as like, not a trialist because I knew all the boys because I'd already played for the Socceroos, but I was like, I'm not getting picked here. He's, he's just brought me in just as token gesture. But I ended up being in the final 23 and went to, uh, went to Russia. What was it like, man, to be in the World Cup team? Goosebumps, like day one. Till the end of the thing was just goosebumps the whole time. Like to actually say, man, I've been to a World Cup was because that's what every player dreams of. And, and Australia have only been to a World Cup four times. So you can actually say you were part of a squad that have actually gone from Australia because England and all those countries, they qualify on the regular. Yeah. But for our country, and we're in the process of trying to qualify right now, it's not as easy as people think. You're going down the Asian route now where back in the day it used to be Oceania and then you'd play the winner of the South Americans, but they don't do that anymore. Now you've got to actually go through Asia, play against Japan, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, where they invest billions of dollars into their infrastructure and into their junior football, <laughs> send over African kids, Spanish kids to get them uh, 
nationalized passports and wow. you're playing against Qatar and there's like four Argentinians, three Spanish and three three Africans. They're not even Qatari, but that's yeah. that's what they do and their football team's unbelievable. They're coached by the best coaches and that's just what we're we're competing up against at the moment and um you know it's up to us to to sort of keep us keep us there before we we're not going to get left behind but if we don't keep keep moving with them then um then we will but I don't think we will. Yeah, I love that. I love that mindset. What, what, what's it like? Like, you know, how, how long? How long is the the whole tournament, the World Cup? So the World Cups, you, you're there for a month. A month. A month of just lockdown, and this was obviously before COVID, so there was no sort of issues with that. But you just looked after private jets, um, all the all the Nike gear you could think of. Um, even just honestly, just putting on the green and gold is just a, a, an experience that not many get to do. And you know, there's I think there's like 620. Um, Socceroo caps that have ever been handed out. So I'm five eight four, but there's only been six hundred players that have played for their, their country in soccer terms. So to be a part of that six hundred, cool, yeah, it's 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 cool. I've got it tattooed on my body, and that's how that's how special it is to me. Yeah, that's epic, mate. And what are your fondest memories from the World Cup? Just playing against so against France. So the they were the the favourites going in. Pogba, Griezmann, you know, Varane at the back, and just seeing the the whole it was kind of scattered around the crowd. But you could see so much yellow. And then they started, started singing that Down Under song, um, yeah. The Men at Work. And then, uh, so that was Goosebumps and then the National Anthems. And then to then see France then push on, win the tournament. And then you played, you, you know, they, they were the first game. You got to watch them in the flesh and then they go and win the tournament. It's like, pff, fair play. Like, you know, you got Pogba and guys like Mbappe's that. Mbappe's. Yes, Mbappe, French. yeah. He's one of the best going exactly. around. Oh, he is by, by, by a country mile and he's. He'll probably uh, leave PSG very soon as well. So just to see and be around that environment and just see that football at a World Cup was next level. Mate, it's crazy. Some of the names you're, you're competing against and mingling with, is it kind of um, like are you a bit of a fan of some of these boys as well, even though you're, you, know, you are in there, you know, like it's probably wouldn't be, yeah. how do I put it? Like, you know, I guess in our sport, it's you don't really have many fans yeah. until you, unless you're an 18 year old. But when yeah. you're playing, it's like, oh, that it is what it is. I think it's you're you're a fan, but you actually just respect them on another level because, let's be honest, you you know that how hard you've worked to be where you are, or how good your talent is. You just know that some of these countries, they're actually they are better than you. They are. You got <laughs> you just accept it. You say like, man, he's twice the player I, three times the player I am, and you can just be in awe of it. And you just all you can do is clap yeah. and just say, mate. I was able to see that guy in the flesh. Shake hands with him after you know, the game. So, yeah. So it's so just, you met uh, Messi and Ronaldo and all these. No, nah, not 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 those two. Those two uh and I've not even got to see them live. So that's something that um would be good. Yeah, because they obviously well, how long do you reckon they've got left? <sighs> I think they can play for a long a long time. But maybe at the, at that level, I don't know. But their bodies are holding up well. Ronaldo's sixteen goals in the Prem this year. Like it's big. Yeah. Like he's probably like third or fourth top scorer in the league. And he's 37. We forget how lucky we are, man, in all these sports. We get so many goats just rolling yeah. around and people, like you said earlier, the media just tries to find, not all media, but there's always a story, oh, you know, he's done or he's negative, washed up. Negative. Yeah, come on, man. Like, let's get around these blokes. I know. I think that's something with, with Australia at the moment. <clears throat> I don't know if it's just, I just see it in soccer, but we just put ourselves down. When someone achieves something or whatever, it's always, yeah, but this and yeah, but that. It's always we need negative. to look at the positives much more. Always negative. So then obviously you loan um, the World Cup, which is awesome, mate. Um, and then you come Melbourne back. City. To, yeah, you come to Melbourne City, which is where you are now. And geez, like, so, so again, they approached you at the Hibs after World Cup? Yes, um, correct. So it was January of 2019. I was at the Asian Cup with um, with the Socceroos and 
agent got a phone call saying like, <clears throat> look, would Jamie be interested in coming back to Melbourne? And, you know, I was kind of like, at the time I was like, fuck, do I, do I want to go back now? It's good. Wouldn't, wouldn't say no, because at the club, the club of Melbourne City have invested a lot of, into their Your facilities are facility. Yeah, they? so they're, they're a sort of club that can actually lure you back, whether that's Melbourne City, you know, Melbourne Beach, they've all got big auras about them. And those kind of clubs can always interest any player that want to come live in Australia because they're just the aura that they have. But I kind of thought, you know what, I, I stripped it all back and said, you know what, I can go to Melbourne City now who are a mid-table team who pay their squad quite quite a bit, but I can go there and give them my goals, you know, double figures every year, and I can I can bring trophies to this club. And that's that was the, that was the goal for me. I was like, you know what, let's start that project. And I also wanted to come back to Melbourne because I wanted to be that guy that, can give back to not only just the community, but to show like, man, you don't, you don't need to leave your country. You can go come back or people say, oh, well, he's come back. He's, he's done. He's fin- He's passed it. I said, mate, I didn't have to come back, but I came back and you know, it's three golden boots in a row, but I'm not trying to prove anyone wrong. I'm just saying I can do it in Melbourne, in my hometown where you're happy off the pitch, you got your family support. And, and that was important for me to know that you're going to have good people, your people that you've missed a lot of time with because family comes before football. And if I could integrate both and put them both together, my family watched me every single game at Amy Park now. And for them to to watch me week in, week out, they never got to do that since I was 15. So there's there's sometimes a bigger picture than than what fans probably think. And I haven't looked back for, for three and a half seasons. Well said, mate. And you're spot on. People yeah. think, why well, is he back in the day? You know, the the strong competitions are over, uh, overseas. And when you come back here, you, yeah. you might think, you know, they're washed and it's not the case. And you're right, man. Like, I uh, I played a lot of games in Perth, and not many mates could come watch me. And the ones that did, it's special. Yeah. I remember them. You know, family were. But it's, but like you said, they can come and watch you play, yeah. and all your friends, yeah, and you know, you don't live too far away from everyone now. So, and what you've said, you that you would do, you have done. You know, like all these golden boots, um, all these trophies that you've brought. We just spoke earlier about. Uh, what's coming up? It's it's quite exciting and yeah, quite uh, young as well, which is awesome. It's like that because I I almost like to keep my goals. And people always ask me, "Oh, well, what do you want to achieve at Melbourne City?" And back then, and I said, "You know, I'll I'll let my talking happen, like as it goes." And I but I deep down knew that it's not all about golden boots, but it's about trophies. Like I wanted to win something as a club because this club had only won the FFA Cup at the time, and then now you know we've got a grand final under about two premierships. We're you know on track to, to hopefully reach another grand final this year, but the golden boots are just part and parcel of having a good team around you and you know my my own quality trying to trying to stick out and be not the main man, but I just just to show people that man you can doubt me all you want, but I'll still be there or thereabouts every year. Yeah, it's good, and then people need to know that you got to back yourself in. Um, Matt, I'm keen to ask you, this is awesome. I'm keen to ask you heaps of quick questions and some questions, um, from all the listeners out there, the Oz American Aces club. I really appreciate everyone that does reach out. Um, a lot of supporters of your own that reached out, which is awesome. So I get to ask the questions on behalf of them. But before I get to the, uh, those ones, I just want to talk about training and playing. If I haven't mentioned this already, mm. just some quick ones, but just a quick off, uh, quick insight into your off-seasons. And when are your seasons? There's so much going on in soccer. I can't keep yeah. up. Do you have an off-season or do you stay ready? We do. But it's it's very hard because you can only have maybe two week or two or three weeks where you're off legs. And then you, you need to get back on the horse. Like you need to get back into the gym, start working on things, start running, doing doing stuff that can prepare you so you're not going in rusty. Because all it takes in pre-season, when they hit you hard, all it takes is a pinged hammy. And then you're like back to square one. You've got six weeks out. Your teammates are 
10 weeks ahead of you. So you got to sort of make sure your body's still good. But I, I find off seasons are more mental. Like just lay on a beach, cop some sun, enjoy that, enjoy time with your partner or your, or your family. And um, that's what I'll do this year with my honeymoon. But it's still about making sure that your body's still tuned in but your mind can switch off from the game because the games and the last two years have been taxing on everybody, yeah. not just myself, but mentally and physically, just you need to just zone out. Just on the um, oh, the honeymoon, where are you going? We're going to try France. Uh, she's Croatian, so we'll go Croatia and um, Abu Dhabi on the way back. Yeah, brilliant. That's awesome, mate. <coughs> France with Risky, our mate. Yeah. Brits. Big shout out to Brits. We went there for a uh, – I'll send you there for a, a day at the uh, – there's a little golf club in the water there. Risky nearly drowned. Oh, yeah? We went to um, – we me, Griff Logan, him, we went there to play golf. We're in, we're in Spain, so um, San Sebastian. And we're like, oh, oh let's go. Let's go play golf. And I went online and like Brits in France. I'm like, what the fuck? I don't even know. It's right next door. So I'm like, let's go there. It's about an hour away. And as we're playing golf, there's like this beach down below. And I'd heard all these photos from mates, like you got to go for a swim. And we had like, you know, we just went, well, we'll, we'll go down there. We, we had a car. Oh, we booked a backpack actually. So we had like our, um, our shorts and all that just in case. And Polo top. You need a polo top. Yeah, we bought polos, man. Say. We all got these green polos, everything, right? So like, we're going down there and we've played golf, thoroughly enjoyed it, overlooking the water, pristine conditions. We all played average. And we went for a swim and then like Griff Logue, he's a beast. Like he's, he used to be a rower and he's just oh, like okay. from WA, he's just he's full back now. He's just a gun swimmer. But these waves out there, man, they were massive and they were, they were so dangerous. No one was in the water. And like, cause we were sweating so much from walking yeah, 18, we were like a budgie smugglers on, like, let's go for a swim. So we go out there and anyway, Griff's in there and Risky's like, he runs in and as he runs in, man, these waves are so big. I'm like, fuck that. I'm not going in, man. I was watching everyone, all these people, like locals on the beach, like your friends are mad. Anyway, it's so like, Risky's like, try, you know, like when you're trying to yeah, get he's out. Like, he's probably my side. Yeah, yeah, he's trying to get out. He can't get out. The waves kept dumping him as he's trying to get out. He's like, and he's holding his breath. It was quite dangerous. And then anyway, he comes out and I'm laughing at him. He's like, no, crying. What are you laughing at, mate? He died. And we died. We nearly sent the lifeguards out to get him. Went to a uh, a bar nearby overlooking the water. I'll send it to you. But yeah, mate, it's, uh, I've only been in France for 24 hours. So it's one of the best days of my life. I can't imagine telling my missus, let's go play golf in, uh, yeah, in France. Yeah. Just go straight to the third uh, the third place we went to but that's awesome mate it's, uh, and how long will you go away for for your honeymoon probably, probably three weeks three Just, weeks that's enough yeah that's Mickey man um, I want to know about the facilities I've heard about these facilities why are they so good at City yeah um, just because they're trying to replicate what they've what they've got at Manchester um, we've got a lot of help from from Casey because um, we train down at Casey now so a lot of help from the council and they're going to build like this three story building restaurant um it's also about seeing the having the academy players that can see kind of what I saw at Blackburn, but having that feel in Australia. So you can have kids that rock up and see the first team boys in around the building, take photos, maybe even just have a chat with a young under thirteen player that wants to know what it takes to get to. So they kind of want to have that vibe. They want to have the women's game. The women's game is getting huge now. So we're gonna have like a little mini stadium where we can play games and maybe cup games. And I think the women's will, will play some games there, if not Amy Park. So um, and having top quality pitches, which. Most A-League clubs don't get to play on a, on a top surface, but our surface is like like Wembley. Yeah, so it's it's nice. a credit to to CFG and, and the City Group who have invested a lot of money into to making this club a powerhouse. And since I've joined, they've gone from being a, a mid-table club to to top two. Yeah, it does. It. You can see it all kind of coming together. It's so important, good facilities. It is. It does. It makes a difference. It, it really, you know, and and players who 
have maybe been at Melbourne City but then go somewhere else actually don't realise or take took for granted what they had at City or players that see what City got, want to join City. So you kind of players want to come and join you and and and, and the obviously the ones that are good ones that the, the club want to sign it's probably an easy buy because um, you know if they're ten grand short here or there they probably think fuck you know what we actually can go to this club and you know they'll you know have my career for longer and have better better facilities. Spot on, man. Spot on. Recovery facility there uh, and also your recovery personally. I love asking this question to athletes. Spoke to Mickey Zarafa, the boxer, yeah. um, about his diet and his recovery and his different methods, if you don't mind sharing. But obviously, we've got all these different kinds of things. Mm. Um, there's a lot of running involved. Uh, are you an ice bath man? You like heat? You like the ocean? What's your- I like both. I, you know, I love the ocean. Um, the guys at Elite where, where, where Mickey goes as well. Um, I don't really have the sweets like like Mickey has. But, yeah, loves um, his Yeah, mate. fucking hell. When I heard that, I was like, mate, I knew I knew his diet was okay, but didn't know it was that bad. I've had some mates reach out and go, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try like, sending me like, all these lollies. Like, I'm getting on the Mickey diet. You know, so <laughs> yeah, so the guys at Elite, they really look after me and um, in terms of that when I'm, because it's so close and the travel for, for obviously my back and down to Casey and stuff, but we get looked after there and whenever I'm feeling a little bit, you know, I'll go get some treatment down here in Keelor East and um, I love the hot, love the cold. Um, a good cold shower is good too, just before the game, just before you had to get your nervous system going and um, I've really found that you got to invest in your body. Like I bought a Compex machine, you know, th- uh, big boots that, you know, the compression, those things add up and as you get older, you, you take longer to recover from games and um, nutrition's important. One thing that I'll never take away from from all that is is wine. Like I, I, one thing that's I've always stuck with it, superstitious wise. It's always a glass before a game, the night before, obviously. Um, red wine with my pasta, yeah, red wine. Love my red wine. Um, so I'll never never give that away for for anyone. So that's probably one thing that people might question, but it's uh, it's something that I've always stuck with. And when you have a superstition and it works. Um, yeah, you, I won't change it. There you go. What kind of Pinot Noir? Nah, it's too light for me. I've got to Shiraz. Shiraz yeah. yeah, deep. Shiraz, Cap Heavy. Sav, Molbeck. So one glass. Is there a stock? One glass. One one decent sized glass and yep. uh, maybe four other glasses go to the wife. But uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll cook dinner or she'll make a nice pasta and we'll enjoy it. And I feel like it, it just re- it almost relaxes you a little bit too. You know, you might be a bit tense for the game and it just, just calms you a bit. So I've done it since I was, since I was 18, 19. And, um, it's a bit weird. 18 year old, you're drinking yeah. wine, but um, <laughs> 28 seems a bit more respectable. So, yeah, I'll never give it up. When you move away at 15, mate, you can, <laughs> we can almost drink at 16. <laughs> Red Bulls and vodka <laughs> yeah. before games. <laughs> mate, that's funny. You're quite superstitious. I've heard that you, uh, is it true that you change boots at half time if you're not playing well? I've done that before, yeah. <laughs> so, if I think things aren't going well, if my movement's not that good, or if, even if I haven't touched the ball as much as I wanted, or if my touch is off, I'd, I'd go into the dressing room and I'd be thinking, I try and blame. I try and blame someone. If I'm not blaming myself, I'm, I'll blame the fucking boots, or I'll blame the shin pads, or I'll blame something. <laughs> change the shirt, put a fresh one on. Um, but it, it's true that I've done that, and then I've gone in the second half and scored maybe one or two. And I think it's those boots. So I made sure <laughs> I, I made sure I look after them, clean them, as I use already next week. It's funny because it's almost like a um, it's like a reset button, isn't it? It is. But yeah. It's funny that everyone's got something different. I love the fact that you're like, fuck it, it's a boots. <laughs> Oh mate, that's awesome. Um, just in games, let's go playing now. But like, how many? How many? I'm actually really interested in your GPS. Like, in terms of kilometers, like, mm. what are what are you doing um, in a game? Roughly, we play we play a like a fairly high pressing game. So I'm our front three. We're kind of always on the move, like just trying to win the ball back nice and high. So I'll, I'll probably do about eleven and a half k's a game. It's heaps, man. Um, for for an attacker, it's 
quite a bit, but it's rewarding. Like at the same time, you kind of think after the game, like, fuck, man, I did some stupid running. Like, what was I doing that for? But you realize that maybe that press that I did there, the here then, this defender gave the ball away and my winger won the ball, crossed it, and I'm, I'm there free to score a goal. So you kind of get the reward further down the line and and you realize it's for for the greater cause. And it's for your teammates too. Like, they're your brothers. You, you're working for them. When you cross that white line, you know, you're not going to be – I'm not that player that throws my hands up in the air and says, fuck, when the guy goes past me, I don't say, oh, he's, <clears throat> he's your problem now. I'll follow that guy or whatever the coach wants me to do in terms of work rate. Um, that's probably one thing that I've always – in terms of the, what, what the coach wants um, from a high pressing game, I, I, that's probably one of the things I can do. And I'd imagine if the high press means more space at the back, is that it does? You just force errors, and you know sometimes teams just then give it back to us, and then we can go attack again. So you kind of force them into areas where they don't want to be, or they feel a bit uncomfortable. And um, and yeah, you just kind of just try and get the ball back as quick as you can. And the, the, the defense is only as good as the front and you're only as good as your weakest link. And we, we feel at Melbourne City anyway that, you know, if, if one of us aren't doing our roles, we get picked off quickly. But if we're all doing it, no one can get out. So yeah. all it takes is that one guy in the chain who's maybe just half a second too late, they're out. But if you do it all right and it's all connected, then, then good luck. It's like out. a little mini team with, it is, you know, yeah. within the lines, just and on then, that. Yeah, and there's been teams that have gotten out too. And it's, it's yeah. kind of, then you got to react and try and get back and try and cover your own asses and, and do all that. So that just, that takes character too. 100%. Now, during the week, um, do you have line meetings with, you know, like his midfielders, forwards, backs, or is it you all just- it's not like, it's not like footy. Not so like we've that. got, you got a head coach and he kind of picks his team and then he talks about how he wants to do it, do stuff and, and how tactics and with the ball, without the ball and whatever, but we don't really have attacking coaches, midfield coaches, or at halftime I've seen the footy boys that have like a circle talking to the attacking coach and we don't have that. It's just straight down the line, you 11 boys, um, this is the go and, and yeah. Yeah, it's actually, it's interesting that kind of stuff. So there's only one coach, yeah. one message. Yeah. That's good though. And your experienced boys can chip in with what they see on the pitch because, and it's it's good with our coach because you can kind of say at halftime coach like, something's not working and he might not see what we see on the pitch because it's, it, you're looking from a different view. Mm. So you kind of explain to him, say, listen, this guy's, one of their midfielders is getting in this position. He's keeps, he's free. Like, what do we do? And then we kind of, if you don't fix it during the first half, you can kind of fix it at half time and then go and rectify in the second half. Yeah, it's brilliant. No, this, uh, it's a different, it's different sports. Well, I wanted to ask. And obviously much more as Pete sprints. I'd imagine your, your sprint yeah. distance would be through the roof because AFL, just for everyone listening, is about 14 to the greatest runners can do 16. But that's 1600. No, 16Ks all up in a game. Yeah, yeah. But you guys have ridiculous amount of sprints, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, which is which goes back to like your training. Uh, do you do heaps of that MAS type? Oh, we do that. Shit. Yeah, I'd imagine 15 seconds break, 15 seconds oh, go again. Bro, oh, it's tough, man. That's that's one of those things that people always ask me for like programs. I might just do MAS, do 15 seconds up, 15 seconds break, do it 12 times, do four sets, feel. and let me know how you go, and then do your one lappers <laughs> after it, and tell me if you feel sick. Well, like, even this track around the corner, mate. Like it's I've done my hard yards there as well. You do the 400 meters and you have a break. You give yourself 30 seconds break and you go again and you try and beat your time all the time, but. You know, when you become lactic acid comes through your body, preseason is the worst. It's it's tough. Um, what's the hardest thing about being a striker? Uh, probably when you go through like a, a drought. So a drought for, you know, maybe footy terms and stuff is if you're not scoring, people are saying, oh, you know, you're going through, you're not scoring. And then you start to question, oh, fuck, why am I in this area? Why am I at the near post? Why don't I go back post? Then you start to, then you start to miss sitters or you miss chances, you miss a penalty. And you start to think the world, like everything's against you and you start to really, it eats you inside. You don't sleep at night. And, um, you know, a drought for me 
for, for some commentators in this league anyway, it's three games. If I, if I don't go, <laughs> yeah. if I don't go a goal without three in, in three games, they start calling it a crisis. But it's all about just <laughs> bringing it back to the basics and just saying, mate, just put yourself in the right areas. You got good guys around you, but I always just bring it back and say, fuck all that. Just work your ass off, and some way or another, like you will get rewarded. Whether it's, I've scored goals where I fucking didn't even know about it. Like we played against Melbourne Victory at Marvel Stadium. And I was having a tough game and, you know, not really getting in the game, but we had a corner, it got swung in and it's come off one of our players and just hit me in the heel and went in. And I celebrated like I scored like a worldie. <laughs> but, I, but then after the game, I said, you know what? Like, I know that sometimes when I'm working my ass off that I'll get rewarded in weird ways. And that's kind of what I just put yourself in the right position. Just hit me in the hit me in the heel. I genuinely had I didn't even know where it went, and the crowd just goes crazy. I'm thinking, "Fuck, it's going in." I'm and like, your name is I'll all take up it. In Marvel, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it was um, yeah, just bring it back down to to literally just. I'm not a big big fan of the whole body language and players like just not working their ass off for their mates because the older that I get, you realise that these boys are out there for you as well, and they'll make you good. They'll make you. Not only feel good and, and and play well, but you know you can make them look good too. And it's about and off the pitch too. You, you you're good mates with them. So, um, yeah, I think that's one thing that I've I've gotten wiser as I've gotten older. And we've got a good group of players at Melbourne City. It's good advice. And it's the same thing with everything. I keep getting a theme. Um, hard work, hard work pays how off. Simple and is it? Work rate. Just you want to know how you're going. Just work harder and compare yourself to the guy next to you yeah. or whatever. But there's always someone working harder than you. Like that's how I've always thought. If I'm working hard, there's always someone. Wherever he is, he's always someone just working that little bit harder. So just give that little bit more. So I love it. Um, I've already gone over the superstitions. Uh, the, the atmosphere. What's the greatest atmosphere that you've encountered so far in your career? Uh, we, without a doubt, the one we talked about, the penalty at, at Rangers. Um, just purely because I knew that they hated me. What was at stake? What I had on the line? Just just everything. And then when it goes in, then the final whistle goes. The head coach literally grabbed me by the neck and like was almost not kissing me, but he was screaming in my face. <laughs> Spit was going everywhere. And he was passionate. He was a big, big Celtic man. And he said, do you fucking realize what you've just done? And I was like, I scored against Rangers. He said, you've just made fucking history. And then threw me, threw my head away and like almost pushed me over. But that, that's just what, what he was ingrained in him because as a young kid, that's always beating Rangers was his biggest accomplishment. So to do it as a coach was big for him as well. That's awesome, man. That's, that's, I love the passion. Anyone that's got passion, get them around me. Best teammate that you've played with and why? I've played with a lot of good guys, a lot of good players, but as a package, probably our captain at the moment. And like, I'll make it known, me and Jamo, Scott Jamison, we punch on a lot. Whether it's vocal, physical, in games, half time, we demand high standards. We're both winners. And um, I've played with him at Perth and played against him. And now we're obviously teammates at Melbourne City. Now we've been to teammates for, for three and a half years. We carpool together. So he lives in Ascot Vale. I'm obviously Essendon. So it's uh, a good relationship. And I know that whatever happens, we'll always shake hands and be mates. And everyone that sees us fight, they know oh, it's just Macker and Jamo. Like, don't worry about it. They're just fucking, they're just little girls. So <laughs> they're, just, they're just punching on. So um, I'd say for him, it's it's been a long, probably six years I've, I've been playing with him. So um, great guy and, and obviously one of my best mates and um, another one is obviously Ryan Edwards who I play with in the Oli Roos who plays in career at the moment he was another player that I never had the pleasure to play with enough because his I say his work rate <clears throat> mate was fucking second to none like this guy could run probably 16k's in a game and for a soccer player it's unheard of so someone like him who would die for his teammate that's and he would die for me as a mate so those two blokes uh, stand out yeah I love that 
love the competitive spirit of you and Jamo. That's brilliant, <laughs> mate. Um, just the selection criteria of World Cup. Someone's written in and and, and uh, wants to know, you know, how do you make it? Like, you, you, is it re- you're training for for three weeks, literally training for three weeks, and the Socceroos coach was a Dutch guy and. Fuck! I didn't have much luck with Dutch guys, did I? And um, he <laughs> was, all Dutch. yeah. He's uh, he basically just pulled me in and off off the beach and said, "Mate, you've got a week. Go on, impress me." I only had a week. Those boys had three. He said, "You got a week," and uh, I guess I did enough to get selected. What's he enough though? Like, what he means? He watching you? Maybe train he saw. On- maybe he saw things I do differently to other strikers or make runs in behind because my game is built on just playing on the shoulder of defenders and making sure that they can't see me and slipping them and all that. Yeah, trying to be like stay on side as well. So maybe I brought something that he wanted to have just in case. Um, you as a coach, you always want to have v- variety. So he probably saw that, and um, I was fresh off some goals. So he probably thought I'm in form. Yeah, no, nah, it's great. All right, that's the questions about training. Here's the we've already gone about. Oh, just on the diet. Do you guys do skin folds? Yeah, they still might, doing them. Fuck, boys are gonna laugh. So my skin folds are high purely because my quad is about eighteen. The quad, I can't fucking work it out, man. <laughs> and I don't have big legs as it is. Who cares, man? You got a good rig. What are you around the stomach? The bit, oh, the, the rigs are alright. It's probably in nine or ten. Yeah, could be better. I used to cop the skin folds, man. Oh yeah. I used to. I think uh, probably they're not saying they focus too much on it. You obviously, as a player, you should really focus on that. But it's there comes a point is some of it's genetics. I'm not a scientist, but some of it's fucking mate, genetics. I'm mate. telling you, I'm telling you right now. <laughs> listen here, Ross Lyon was the. It was great though because it made you work harder, and you know, in the gym, like I'm working like a dog just to yeah. get myself under fifty because everyone's you know in the forties. Obsessed with this fifty. I Obsessed just with yeah, it. like the the line was fifty five, and um, you're not allowed to train, and uh, and fifty was like you're not allowed to play, right? And I'll never forget, I've come back and I've like nearly won the time trial. I've come like second. I think I come third or fourth as yeah. an 18-year-old. And I'm up and about. I've hardly spoken to the coach. I get the tap, for like literally probably my first convo. And it's like, mate, you're not training for two weeks. You're too fat. So like, what do you mean, man? He's like, your skin folds are 58. And I was like, it was the first time I ever heard of skin folds. And, and I think they're banning them now, are which they? is great because they stuff like – I mean, it actually was a good benchmark because, like, I definitely knew that you'd blow out from what you average. Like, yeah. you know, if you're eating shit and you're not training hard, or you're like, you're in good routine, you're like, oh, like, people lose. You can lose weight, but you can't lose skin folds. And some of the, I mean? some like, of the, some of the pain that caused some blokes. Like, we had a few blokes naturally just massive. Yeah. They'd starve themselves. That's what I mean. It's not. It's not healthy. It's it's actually more unhealthy doing what they're doing to try and get down than. To keep the club should realize that, um, and I'm people probably just people saying, Oh, you just because you got a quad, I'm gonna cover the boys are gonna say, (laughs) Mate, just get in the gym and work on your your quad strain. So, um, but for me, it's like you gotta gotta break it all down the footballer, what's he producing on the field? Is he durable? Is he injury prone? All these, all these factors are it. So, like for me, I touch wood, I'm fairly good in the gym, rarely injured. So, if if I can produce 90 minutes a week on week. What's my quad? My quad's obviously fucking running. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know. So, I used to get, I used to just, the actual funny thing you say about quad, I actually got my quad down. Don't know. I think I must've got stronger in the gym. I got skinny, like chicken legs, right? So I must've put a couple of kilos on the quads <laughs> and all of a sudden I got the quads under 10 and the calves went down and that's where I used to make my gains because my stomach used to <laughs> cop it. But uh, yeah, anyone out there that doesn't know what we're talking about, skin fold testing is, is not fun. I and especially day one of free season when you've had an off season. I can get rid of it. <laughs> Righto, this is a segment we have from Caps, um, huge sponsor of the show, mate. Righto, so you get the Caps there. We've got a couple of uh, gifts in there. Uh, but from Caps, 
We love caps, the home of headwear. I know you love your hats. Pick one that you love, and while you're doing it, tell me what the greatest moment of your career has been so far, your caps moment. Caps moment. Um, you know what? Probably getting that phone call that I'm in the World Cup squad. I think um, because I was dead and buried. When I say I was six feet under, I was nowhere near it. I wasn't even the best 30 players for that for the selection. My name wasn't even in the hat. And to get a phone call sitting on a, on a beach in Dubai was uh, was a feeling I couldn't explain because I, I was probably half cut on fucking Shiraz <laughs> too. And I was thinking, I said to the guy, mate, you're taking the piss. Like, what the, I'm fucking, I haven't trained in about 10 days. Like, what do you want, what do you want from me? They said, mate, we might have to get you to the training camp in the next few days. So that feeling. And then obviously when I got there, I still wasn't guaranteed. So I was kind of, I kind of went in there like f- with a, with a free hit. Cause I was like, he's probably going to bin me anyway. So I'm just going to come in here, put my head down, work hard, see the lads and I'll go back and join my missus back on holiday. But, um, a couple of days later it goes by WhatsApp chat and you kind of, you know, when you have the WhatsApp groups, it had world cup squad, you're being added into it. And I was like, nah. So, you know, when your guts drop, your, your heart, heart drops, pump, yeah. goosebumps and you're thinking fucking hell, like that's a dream. Like, for me, I even just, I'm speechless talking about it because it's like, those are the dreams that are priceless. Without a doubt, you couldn't put a money, uh, an amount of how I felt that day. It was in Turkey and there was boys who are very close with that probably didn't get that message who I would know exactly how they're feeling. So they would probably look at me like, fucking hell, Macca's Stephen Bradbury here. He's come, <laughs> fucking wasn't here, for, wasn't here for three weeks, but now he's just rocked up, trained three days and he's, he's in the squad. So... I can imagine the, the the roller coaster of emotions that some boys have gone through, and myself as well. Like, like I said to you, mate, I was, I said, no, I'm not going to a World Cup three weeks before that. That's so good, man. Well, there you go. That caps moment. I love the caps moment. Yeah. Um, that is awesome. The WhatsApp, the feeling. Oh, mate. Um, to come from the clouds, it's always yeah. the case when you're not. But expecting you know what? It. The, the dark. They were dark times, right? Yeah. Before they before they hit to the good, they were dark as I was like upset with my missus. I was crying because I'd I'd worked so hard to leave Germany to go to Scotland to to. to put everything on the line to just get on that plane. Just get on that plane to Russia, man. Just fucking just, you might only get to one World Cup, but just do everything you can. And I feel like I ticked every single box in Scotland. And then to, to on the final day, score a hatch against Rangers to get that no was, uh, yeah, I mean, it's heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. It's such a roller coaster. You're literally like the stocks I've got in the S. All these things I've invested on the stock market. One day they're on the roof, one day they're on the floor, mate. It's just the roller coaster. Yeah. It, it literally is a roller coaster. Is, and mate. there's a lot of downs. People don't realize there's probably there's 90% of downs, but geez, the ups are high, oh, aren't man. they? They're high. And that, that story yeah. you just told yeah. is- that's why, that's why the higher was even higher because of what I, how, how below I was. I was six feet under, mate. I was like not even in the coach's fucking roster. Yeah, it's it's awesome. That's it. And the Undertaker. Yeah, the Undertaker. <laughs> Come from the clouds, mate. That's epic. Right, this is what I said before. I've got some questions from the club. Uh, all the people listening, and I love. Um, I must say, thank you to everyone that writes in and, and asks a question. Uh, we love having you a part of the shows, and I personally love the responsibility of reading them, um, especially to our cool guests. So. I'll read these out. Um, the first one, my eight-year-old son, Jackson, would love to know what you would suggest he should focus on improving his game as a striker. Uh, eight-year-old. Yeah, well, <clears throat> if I go back to when I was eight, um, you know, my dad would say, you're a, you're a right footer, but how good's your left? And, you know, I'd always try and put myself back on the right and have a shot with my right, and he'd say, no, go on to your left, have a shot with your left. And then I'd 
feel like a spastic, just kicking it wide or you know, not having the right technique. And then my dad would say, listen, head over the ball and just give me the basics of, of a left foot and having that coordination for the left foot. So as I got older, when the ball fell to me in the box, I'm not always trying to bring, because the better players you play against, they'll tackle you. So you've only got a snapshot of your left foot or your right foot. So you've got to be able to hit with both feet. And the best players in the world have both feet and they're comfortable with both wherever it falls to them. So I'd say work on your on, on both feet and make sure your kid almost get to a point where if someone said to me now, what foot are you? I could say, I'm, I don't know. That's Because awesome. I don't know. Yeah. But right. I do know I'm a right footer, but I don't know. That's how good my left foot is because I've worked. If someone said to me, if you want to do a volley, I could, my volley, my left foot's better than my right foot. And that's just years of repetition. Yeah, it is. And, and now I believe in it. So when you believe in something and you're kind of thinking the, the, the hours you put in, even your left foot believes it. So it's brilliant. As I say, yeah, it's the same with everything, isn't it? Use both hands, use both feet. Great advice. Um, just on that, how old were you when your old man taught you that? Was it really young? Oh, yeah, same question. Seven or eight, yeah. Awesome. Easily. There you go. Jackson, get on the left or right, depending on your preferred. Righto, what does it truly feel like putting on a Melbourne City jersey and walking out onto Amy Park? Oh, to put it simply, proud. Um, big reason why I joined the football club because I know that they, where they were, they had so much growth but, and I wanted to be a part of that growth and I wanted to be a part of success because everyone was saying, yeah, City, they've got money. They've got backing from Manchester and, and City Football Group in Abu Dhabi, but they're just, they're a a soft underbelly club that a week when it comes to big games. And I said, fuck that, mate. I'm, I feel like I'm a big game player and I feel like I can add something to that club. And um, three and a half years later, I think we've spoken for itself. So I've always wanted to to be a proud Melbourne City player and, and a proud Melbourne boy and to do it in my hometown with a club that backs me and a fan base that I think love me. So um, yeah, pretty happy. Yeah, it's brilliant. Well done, mate. And well said. This is a pretty, you can answer this quickly. I've already gone through it. How did you get so good at soccer? I wouldn't even say I'm good, whoever wrote that. I've just uh, believed, it's it's fairly cliche, but you believe, even if you're, you're going through your darkest times, always just think that something will, will dig you out and nine times out of ten, it's your determination and your desire and your hunger to actually to go out and do it. When, when you know, 5 a.m. in the morning when you wake up and sometimes you don't want to get out of bed, just get out of bed, just just wake up and, and, and attack the day and just make sure when you go to training, you don't take every session for granted, like, if I can ever give it any advice to young boys is just never be satisfied with just your training session. So if you can spend 5, 10, 20 minutes after sessions working on your craft, whether it's defending, tackling, heading, fucking shooting, whatever that is, just spend a bit of time on it because I know that you will improve, you'll see improvements week on week, day on day, month on month, you'll see your game go to another level and practice makes perfect, but you'll never get perfect. You always strive for perfect, but you'll never get it, but just get as close as you can. It's great advice, man, and hopefully everyone listening is taking this on board. Thanks for answering that question. So honestly, um, we'll skip the next question. What does it take to become a professional footballer? I've already gone through the journey. Um, <laughs> a lot of downs, that's what it takes, uh, and a lot of yeah. determination, like you just said. How do you impress on trial with a European club? This is a great question. So when you were younger, um, yeah, what was well, it that you did that impressed? Because it's training. As an Aussie, you almost go in there as you're not respected. It's just a fact. Like you, these English guys, these foreign Europeans, these South Americans, they would say, fuck, what? the Australia play soccer and you've got to go there with, yeah, we fucking do, mate. Like you've got to go there and say, okay, I'll show you. I've got, I've got Scottish blood. I've got Maltese blood. I'm Australian, but I've got European hi- history in my, in my family. So um, you have to go there and basically, yeah, you, you got to work hard, but you've got to show them that you're as good as them. And, you know, and I, at the time I thought I, thought I did. 
I still had a long way to go. Like I said, I, when I got and saw the wingers at Blackburn, let alone Manchester and Liverpool, the wingers, I was nowhere near it. So I had to de deploy myself in another position that they saw and, and it worked. Um, they, they developed me into being a, a goal scoring machine at that level and to keep going, to keep going. And I saw some of the best strikers in the world and live on TV or, or live in the stadium and got to take those experiences. And as a young kid, you, you sink or swim. Like you got to take the advice from the older experienced first team players or just think you're as good as you are and you will never get anywhere. So yeah. just, you got you got to soak it all in. It's great. Favorite Collingwood player and why? Favorite Collingwood player. Oh, look, if we go back to like oh, the Buckley days. Yeah, when you're growing up. Loved, loved, obviously, Nathan Buckley and you had Leon Davis, guys like that, the small forwards. Leon, Leon. Uh, people think that I could, if I if I played footy, I honestly think, not saying I could play AFL, but I think <laughs> I'd be like the Alan Didak or whatever. Yeah. But um, no, nah, now I'd probably, uh, just because purely because he's, he's, he's a good lad, but John Noble, he's got number nine. He wears the vapors as well. So we've kind of got a little bit of connection <laughs> That's there. That's great. So, um, yeah, so I've been watching Collingwood and he, he's a good young player as well. So um they're on the they're on the rise and the new young boy Ginnivan's doing doing quite well too so um I love his I love his confidence and I can see a little bit of thing of you know when people are talking about him he makes them talk about him even more which I like yeah it's great and you'd like his hairstyles we haven't spoken about your hairstyles <laughs> you've had some hairstyles like over me. the time I have mate and uh you've you've I mean the rumors are Paulie Salberg shout out again the emo used to be like an emo they reckon mate no, so fuck, <laughs> he's fucking got me here so I I had Blonde tips. I had. I used to use Steph's, my sister's straightener to have like the fringe coming yeah, over. I used to do the same thing with <laughs> we all did in summary, yeah, right? Yeah. So well, I had, the, I had the, the this mousy brown hair with the blonde tips and whatever, and um, got to a point where I was like, "Fuck, I want to change it." So we went to Coles, and I said, "Is there any way I can just get these blonde out and go back to my mouse, mousy brown, just natural?" And the lady was like, "Yeah, just just try this L'Oreal one." So we went home. Mum and Dad were out for dinner. We put it on my hair. We sat for like five minutes. No shit, five minutes. Had a shower and it came back jet black. <laughs> it just fucking went emo. So I was like, no. So I had a game the next day and all the boys are saying, where's Jamie? Is he playing? And people are like, yeah, that's him with the black hair. The fucking num <laughs> number seven. So I said, got home, shaved it off, number one. And I haven't, uh, I've, I've dyed it peroxide. I've done that. I've done a few hairstyles like that. I don't mind it. looks good when you do that. Yeah. I did it uh, the last two pre-seasons and they've kind of worked out all right. And my coach is really superstitious. So he's he'll be saying to me in pre-season, mate, Get rid of it. Like oh, blonde really? Again. Yeah, we saying blonde again. So he doesn't like it. So he wants you just clean cut like no, you No, he are. likes this, but he wants me to bring peroxide in pre-season because the last two years we won the championship. So oh, he wants me to do He want me to oh, do it again. Sorry, yeah. yes. That's so awesome. I get rid of it. I have it in pre-season. I get rid of it. So now that's the hairstyle for finals. You're going to keep it like no, It's not going to grow too much quicker. I just, I just got rid of this because the Thailand was fucking 40, 41 degrees oh, humidity. Okay. So I just had hair like yours lengthwise and I just said, no, nah, just get rid of it. Yeah. It's I'm married cool. now, so it's all right. Yeah, you don't care. <laughs> Mate, that's great. Great feedback here. Here we go. There's two more questions to go. If you could recruit one player from another team in the A-League to join you at Melbourne City, who would it be and why? That's a good question. It is a good question. That's like a, I said, some great questions. Some, there, there are some top top players in this league. Um, really, really good, but I'm, I'm probably more thinking that would benefit our football club um, with the way we are. I'd say there's a young boy, Jake Brimmer at Victory. Very, very impressed with him. Um, we actually had our own little tiff in a, in a derby game where he, I missed a penalty and he said to me, fucking Socceroo missing a penalty. And I said, oh. you cheeky little fucker. <laughs> so then we, then, then we scored and then I was up in his face like, go on, Jakey, we're going to fucking do you tonight. And then we went five, six, we won, won six nil. So every celebration I was in his face, but 
we've uh, we've we've patched things up, and he's a good kid. He's he's a top player, and um, he's he'll be destined for Socceroos. He's probably had one of the best years that a, a younger player has had in the league, and he's someone that uh, yeah, he's a rival rival player, but you respect him because he's he's done so well. And and he was at Liverpool as a young kid. He's come back to Australia, and similar journeys to me. Go as a young kid, come back and try and prove yourself, and. Um, you know, my, my City fans probably won't like me saying a, a Melbourne victory player, but out of respect, take all the rivalry apart, the person and the player. Um, the fact that we had a little tiff was good. I like that from yeah. from him, but also the, the quality that he brings. That's brilliant. Well done. It's great. Dumb question. How do you score so much? <laughs> if I was a striker. Get in the box. Stand there and fucking wait. <laughs> I don't know, mate. I just, it's uh, it's a habit. It's a, it's, it's a great feeling. I feel like other than maybe getting married and having maybe kids in the future, I don't think there's too many better feelings than hearing the net ripple. So um, <laughs> that'll be as simple as I can put it. Um, there's no better feeling than having fans jump up on their feet, spill their beer because of what the action that you did. And um, yeah, no greater feeling than, than scoring a goal. It's a bums on seats mentality. On and seats, uh, I definitely would rather be a striker than a defender. <laughs> I can tell you what, mate. Um, so before I go ask you the next segment and we wrap up, the banter. I, I, I love the banter side of things. It'd be because yeah. soccer, there's not many goals scored, right? Yeah. So it's, I mean, there is if you're, you know, if you're having a good day. But when you kick a, a goal and, and you're 1 0 up and yep. there's not much time, is there a lot of chirp on the pitch? Or is it just uh, hang on? It's one nil is fucking risky to do that. So two nil, yeah, two nil, two nil's a little bit more respect. You can say to the boys, "Hey, you fucking these boys paying you?" Or oh, yeah. you know what I mean. So yeah, you can yeah. kind of like have a bit of banter. Like the other night, I was saying to the Wellington boys because they went, we went two one up, and and they they'd scored, and they had a bit of they were playing quite well. And I said to one of the midfielders, I said, "Mate, it's fucking is Melbourne Victory guys giving you a little on the side because you guys are playing unbelievable so you have yeah. a bit of banter and the guys that you know um, the centre back that I was up against is one of my good mates Tim Payne so um, <laughs> you do have you do have banter and like I said the one with with Jake Brimmer was was purely because he actually had the confidence to say to me mate fucking a soccer room missing a penalty like it was, yeah, it was actually really good bastard, yeah. I'm like yeah I love that but then he didn't realise what would happen 70 minutes later is, is us winning 6-0 at Marvel so um, yeah ever since then you, you do have that little banter and um you just don't want to cross the line. Like, you, you know, obviously I got sent off this year and I regret it, called the ref a cheat. It wasn't wasn't good, um, but I just felt, you know, the heat of the moment, I got smashed five minutes before that, so I was in pain and all the emotion and stuff like that. So for me, it was, yeah, a bit different and, um, yeah, you just move on. What's the best banter you have heard on the on the pitch? Um, I'd say probably even just, yeah, Jamo, just even just given to play. He, he loves it every game. You know, he's the sort of player that just loves to give it, and it's always one, um, isn't it? There's he's one our captain. He's 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 just he gets them all started and um, gets into little melees every game and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you love the banter, and you just hope that there's just once you cross the white line, you shake hands and you're all you're all mates and stuff like that. Hundred percent, man. Hundred percent. Last segment: Ricks and retirement. So I've got to obviously the Rixies here. I know you love the Melrose mates. Not that you need any more confidence, but. Look out, the great man. Looking all right? Yeah, they look really yeah. fresh. While you're wearing them, right, I want you to tell me, Ricks and retirement is the last segment. Once you've finished up, you've retired, you've uh, got kids, yep. you know, you don't need to work anymore because you cashed up. You could be 36, you could be 50, doesn't really matter, but you're done. Where's the one place that Jamie McLaren would love to live in the world and why? Uh, probably somewhere in, in Croatia, maybe like a – a nice little village there. Um, make sure there's a little winery down the road. But the, by then, I'd like to think that I could speak the language. 
Um, it's very difficult, but she can speak the language and um, a great country with with a lot of good history, good food, friendly people, um, and obviously keep the house in Melbourne, but have a little holiday destination over in Croatia in Europe. There you go, Croatia. There it is, Rick's in retirement for the Beautiful. great man. Mate, thank you so much for joining us here at American Aces. Um, we all love watching what you do. and. Thank you. We'll be supporting you in the next uh, month closely, but obviously wish you nothing but the success uh, moving forward. And yeah, thanks for joining thanks us and Tom. thanks for your time, brother. I, I really appreciate much, it. Tommy. It's appreciate good to it. see you. And everyone else out there, um, if you can subscribe, it does make a huge difference. Share our, share our podcast if you're enjoying it and feel free to leave a review. But it means a lot uh, when you reach out um, and, you know, blokes like Maka come on and love your questions and so does everyone else. So... Wherever you are, enjoy the rest of your day or night. Um, have a great time. And once again, mate, thanks Thank for joining us much. on Tommy thanks Talks. For me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another episode. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, please feel free to hit us up on our social channels at Osmerican Aces. If you're entertained, inspired, or feel more educated, please share it with your friends and family because we appreciate the support. Righto, catch you on the next one.